Hello and welcome to The 250, your weekly movie podcast looking at the INDB's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Joe. I am Andrew. I'm Philip. And this week we're talking about Michael Mann's 1995 Los Angeles crime epic Heat. And joining us for this discussion are Phil Bagnell, who has been on the podcast before, talking about films including The 400 Blows and Chinatown. Thank you. And a new guest, Joe. Hi. Happy to be here. Ah, cool. Just, would you mind introducing yourself to the listeners a little bit, Joe? Just in terms of, you know, sort of who you are, your experience, sort of just in case people haven't, aren't familiar with <laughs> your work. Yeah. Just in case someone doesn't know who I am. Um, <laughs> I was a freelance journalist and arts and film critic for about 10 or 15 years. Um, I've written about film for the Irish Times, The Guardian, Event Guide, done a good bit of stuff for RTE. Uh, I then kind of left film journalism behind except for the occasional little jaunt um, we managed to drag you back in yeah yeah Yeah, just when i thought i was out they pulled you back which is the wrong al pacino movie entirely (laughs) well because it's actually joe when i asked uh because we went through at the start of the year and said a a bunch of people we liked that on and we we said you uh, because i I know i'm a big fan of your work and obviously we know each other quite well um but i was was asked you what you would like to cover and you came back with two films but for the purposes of this discussion you came back with heat what was it about Heat that sort of grabbed you? Why, why did you say Heat? Like when, when I said one of the best movies of all time, the first one or the second one that came into your head at least was Heat. What was it? Um, well, I've got, I've got about three or four favourite films. Everyone's favourite film usually um, slips up and down like uh, your favourite film one week might not be the same the next week. And so some of my other favourite films, like, say, The Fly, Cronenberg's The Fly, I wasn't 100% certain would be in the top 250. And if it's not, that's a that's travesty. A it should yeah. be in the top one. But uh, <clears throat> So I wanted to pick something that I adored, that I've watched many times uh, since I first saw it in cinema uh, 22 years ago. Um, so And something that I feel comfortable chatting about because like that uh, old Simpsons joke it works on so many levels yeah Heat was an easy kind of Venn diagram between something I was confident would be in the top 250 and <laughs> something that I w- was confident would be in my top 250 as well I like the way you treated it like bingo it's like you've got no idea what's going to come up but as if it you know the list isn't available online somewhere to sort of if only it were published publicly <laughs> but it's some kind of database where, where would you find it uh, yeah. we, we don't know we're still looking um, we're trying to make sense of it Phil um, you also like when we talked about films that you like and films that you love and particularly when we had you on our episode for our anniversary you had to pick your favourite film on the list you singled out this one I did what is it about Heat that sort of draws you in see I feel like I can't compete with Joel's answer it's on the top 250 it's on my top 250 hell's my top one but Besides that, I think what I said in the anniversary show uh, still stands. What I love about it and why I've watched it so many times and why I keep coming back to it is um, a perfect blend of character and style and how the latter very much informs the former. And it's something that we don't see enough of. Uh, like Man is one of the few people who knows he knows how to use style to a narrative advantage and it's that smartness of filmmaking that I just I respond to and then couple that with pulse of narrative great actors of an astonishing look and the best shootout in all of cinema and uh, I think you're on to a winner 
Is let's talk a little bit about Michael Mann there. Well, sorry, hold on. My name's Andrew. For 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 anyone who's just listened to Get Out, uh-huh. um, uh, I'm I'm on this uh, podcast because I'm friends with Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think I think he's implying you're the regular. <laughs> Wearing your credentials. On the <laughs> um, I'm I'm a well wisher. So. Andrew, <laughs> if that is your real name, what what I is know. it about Heat that, that sort of what grabs you about Heat? What what really st- struck me, I guess, the first, I guess, few times I watched it because I'm pretty sure I've seen this more than once. It's well worth watching anytime you see it on television. Is the action set pieces and the style of it, and and those things kind of go together because the way. <laughs> They kill people is the way I want to kill people. That's very <laughs> uplifting. Which is my point, fine, really. Do you want to elaborate in, upon that a in, little bit? In, in fine suits, style. Uh, in, with, with great luggage and um, awesome efficiency. Um, yeah, Great yeah, luggage it, and awesome <laughs> efficiency. That's not a Bible quote. <laughs> I feel, yeah, I feel like that's that's a jacket quote for the film there. But yeah, because we, we this actually came up in both sort of Phil and Anna. Just to be clear, I, I don't want to kill people. But if you did, you would do it in this fashion. Yeah, if 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 uh, if what I did was uh, scores, then you would take scores. Yeah, like um, Let's let's talk about this because I think that not to mention Vincent uh, Hannah. So, like, like these are two people that I want to be, and I think the point of the movie is that you don't want to be these kind of people. Um, but I guess we'll get to that in the... In the Maybe a little bit yeah. later. But, I mean, because one of the things about Heat that sort of grabs me, because we talked about this in the podcast before, is the IMDb 250 is largely a sort of a, a male-dominated sort of people who came of age during the 90s sort of list. And the thing about Heat is Heat is the first film that we landed on, actually. We've been doing this a year, and this is the first film that we landed on, with the possible exception of Leon, that sort of ticks all those boxes. Because it is, it is for me, and it was for me, a massively formative film in terms of it informed my love of cinema and informed a lot of what I expected from cinema. And I mean, this is one of the things about it. We watched the trailer uh, at the end of last week's show, and the trailer knows what it's selling ridiculously well. Oh, yes. Pacino, De Niro together at last. That's it, exactly. Because I feel like... Also, Val Kilmer is in it. Yeah. <laughs> Val Kilmer has somehow like, got third billing. He was a far, he was a far bigger deal in 1994. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. he, well, he filmed it right off the back of Batman to the yeah. point where apparently Robert De Niro kept calling him Batman during the film screening. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I the film. Remember that terrible film Val Kilmer was in? <laughs> this is the There's reason. one of many. Yeah. There's one many. We have to that be more single bad film he was in. <laughs> <laughs> All the same. Yeah. Or, or uh, what was the other one? The Ghost in the Darkness. Um, That's not. I kind of like that. It's movie. okay. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Val Kilmer. I think it's funny I that, like that, like, it makes sense in uh, on the time. I, th- I think they were thinking of putting Brad Pitt in in the role. Keanu Reeves and, as well. Keanu Reeves was uh, also. Can't there. imagine that at all. I could picture a black ponytail um, with Keanu. And the sort of quiet intensity as it's well. Everything else that I can't imagine though. But, um, there's a smarmiest to Val Kilmer that I think Keanu is just a bit too um, blank, yeah. bit too blank to convey. I can I can believe Val Kilmer as 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 this character. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 oh, I loved him. I thought oh, he yeah. was really good. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the entire cast yeah, is, there, is fantastic. There isn't a bum. No, it's got a great cast. And there's so many <laughs> actors that are not always good. That are not always reliable. That are great. And and it's like Tom Sizemore. Yeah, and, and are meticulously chosen as well. There's a famous story about Amy Brenneman, who oh, plays yeah. the role of Edie. 
she's and phenomenal. And she initially, when she got the script, she turned it down because it was too violent. And she because hated, yeah, she hated she had, these characters. She hated and, the world they inhabited. And man said, "That's exactly why I want you in this role because you are the only character. Your her, her character is the only one who has, you know, she exists has that outside. kind of moral sense. She exists outside it. There's yeah. a hint yeah. of uh, Carlito's way of Pacino's film." In that the falling in love could save his soul, yeah. could save like a Batman or a thief's mm-hmm. soul, uh, like with De Niro's character in this, and she's so vulnerable in this, and so likable, so likable because of that vulnerability. And even though she conveys that, I when I was rewatching it, a uh, we watched it just last night for this. I assume you all did your homework similarly. <laughs> Uh, but um, I just didn't uh, bring it, my homework. It just uh, w- one thing that always surprised me is early on when she encounters him in the bookstore and afterwards she comes on to him. You'd expect yeah. he'd be the one to make some kind of charming move, but just lady, why are you so interested in what I read or what I do? And just she seems so genuinely interested in him mm. and fascinated by him in that, and she has a really great way. She does. For what she does. But yeah, that's where that was going. She yeah. also does have great hair. She's got a great house. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a thing with you, isn't it? <laughs> and Robert De Niro got... Anyway. But, anyway, but I think that's sorry. just... The, I mean, Edie, her character, it's... Like so many characters in the film, they subvert a lot of expectations you'd have. Like, you know, she's she is vulnerable and she is relatively uh, innocent uh, compared to everybody else in the Myers area with the crimes they commit. But... There's a there's another side to that. There's a there's a, a a grit and a moxie that you just don't expect. And on the other hand, you'll have a lot of other characters who are cap- who tough as they are, are capable of moments of incredible tenderness. There is well, there's a like man is massively rated as, as a director. In fact, he's generally regarded as a technical innovator. Like he's like man is perhaps best known, and you, and it's interesting that both Phil and Andrew talked about style in terms of like mm. man's filmography because he's primarily known these days for his, his push of digital, for example. Yeah. Um, yes. In, where he's even yeah. in films where it doesn't necessarily belong, like say Public Enemies or stuff mm-hmm. like that. But he's because it doesn't belong doesn't mean it doesn't work. And I will defend the cinematography in that film if you want. I wouldn't. I but wouldn't, that's another time. I wouldn't defend the use of digital in that. I think Mann is a great digital um, director. Like, like I think I said before, um, I, I believe Fincher is, and it and 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 this movie is 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 one of his movies that really showcases that. Well, this was this was shot in film. This was actually it, it was. was yeah it was. Just, it's like he was just waiting for. It. I believe it was yeah, yeah. and he he remastered it like because myself and Andrew we watched this is going to be an inevitable two fifty everybody watches a different version of the film which is the wonderful thing about editing we watched the definitive director's edition which I, I believe actually changes very very little it does we'll talk specifically about what changes the spoiler zone but one of the things that he wanted to do when he remastered it was he wanted to make it look like a film that he shot on digital it actually it does it Ooh, looks which like, is interesting great looking movie yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's, it's weird when everybody seems to be trying trying to make films make them look the other way around. Yeah, make digital films look like they were shot in film as opposed to mm-hmm. film look like they were shot in film. Or just shoot on film, whichever. Well, I works. think with, pub, with Public Enemy, it, it failed for me because like I want to see that uh, it at least look like it's shot on film. In the 30s, I yeah. It to look like it was from the era. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, and again, obviously, his work in, say, television, where, for example, he did Crime Story or he did uh, Miami Vice, where he informed the look and feel of those shows as well, where he's known as a stylistic director. But he's also, he's a really great writer. Like, there's a, some wonderful, like, heat for all that it's, it is a two-hour and three-quarter film. It's, it's a massive, it's a crime epic, as, the, as the tagline says. 
But not any of that feels wasted. It's very efficient and it's very well constructed. And I mean, even the, the dialogue, which is, you know, you could dismiss as tough guy dialogue, but there's something sort of very poetic about, you know, the obvious well, that's line. It's only a fraction of the dialogue, right? Yeah. The scene we were talking about with uh, Brenneman earlier was really tender and really gentle and takes its time and mm. unfolds at its own pace. And what I really love about this film is its confidence, the way it ebbs and flows. So most films, there seems to have been a law passed sometime in the last five or 10 years where most films are like half an hour too long. And not only are they too long, but you can see exactly what that they should have been cut out. Like, um, whereas with this one, it is yet long. It's like two and three quarters hours, but there's no fat. And it's even the slow scenes are just allowing the characters to breathe and the story to breathe and for you to get to know the characters better. Mm. There's a, I don't know if any of you guys have seen Idiocracy. Um, the Mike Judge film? Mm-hmm. But there's in Idiocracy, um, it's about Luke Wilson. He hibernates for 500 years in society has dumbed down so much that... That's your stupid president. It looks um, a lot like today. It, it's actually aged very well. It's Yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible film. It's really fun. Um, but the best, the number one film in this dystopian, dumb future is called Ass. And it's just an ass on screen farting. And it's nominated for lots of Oscars and all this. But there's a scene that uh, my wife and I jokingly refer to when Luke Wilson makes a speech and he said there once was a time when watching a movie you would care whose ass it was and why it was farting <laughs> and, and in a film like Heat all of those scenes show you figuratively whose ass it was and why it's farting so every gunshot every like um, every bullet every, every impact every, every collision impact has context because the filmmakers took their time to have long conversations about gambling troubles to show Tom Sizemore like bonding with his family over, over his, dinner, yeah, yeah. Family over dinner, and then he like that. He puts picks up great yeah, impact later into on, the yeah. scene where he picks well, up. Uh, not that burger. anybody, <laughs> not that we're worried about the spoilers. I'm about to say, well, well, the, the uh, reviews on IMDb is. I imagine I'm writing this review for people who haven't seen the movie, and I feel sorry for you. And yeah, yeah, so you we're, should. We're in that position, I think. Well, okay. Well, in that case, then I will certainly people who haven't seen this movie. Ditto. Well, yeah, I suppose. I thought. Uh, I think though, it's a film that rewards reviewing. Though, like it I mean, like every well, other. Yeah, I watched I, it, I mean, last, week. it yeah. last night. I yeah. can confirm it. Does. I've seen it twice in the past month for this, um, and yeah. it's both the the director's where, cut and. Where do you find the time? I was on a plane for one of those. Author. Um, but um, and, and to be honest, there are worse ways to pass plane. Well, that mind then. Um, what we'll do then is just ask basically, and I think we know the answer from all four people in in this room. Do you think that this movie belongs on the list of the best two hundred and fifty movies of all time? Yes. 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 Oh. <laughs> Hello. I, I like that you sort of decided to sort of to shimmy up and improvise around. So it's not just Al Pacino. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that was. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> the, the jury will... Uh... We'll, we'll reconvene on the other side of the spoiler zone. If you haven't seen the movie, come back to us in two hours and 45 minutes. Pause the podcast, come back, and, and we'll talk in a bit more depth. Yeah, let us know which version you watch as well. Because uh, yeah, you'll it's be very... vital to distinguish. You, yeah, it's very easy to tell which version you're watching. Um, I think it's tremendous. I think it's ferocious, the difference. But uh, anyway, with that in mind, then, we will segue gently into the spoiler zone.
on his own. So, Joe. Yes. What is heat about for you? I think it is about masculinity. I think it's about. I appreciate the irony that it's directed by Michael Mann. It's, it's a, a man. film by man for men. <laughs> yeah, it's well. It's interesting. Like um, I remember reading reviews at the time. I'm old enough to remember going to see it in Savoy One and reading reviews at the time and watching Barry Norman's review of it and everything. And a lot of people compared it to a western, and it totally is like oh, a, western. a western. You could totally make it as a western. Yeah. And I would pay to see it twice. Like that's totally okay with me but pe- I think it's a little misunderstood because people talk about it as if it's a film about duty and the women are getting the way of duty in their relationships and blah 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 and while that is the case it's missing the point that these these men are, are ruining their own lives they're ruining their relationships and this as cool as they look at chasing criminals or knocking over banks or wearing sharp 1990s-era baggy suits. Uh, and sunglasses. And, and sunglasses, yeah, and making cool quips and all that. Um, their lives are tragic, and the lives of people they touch are tragic. So it's a film about that, about how people define themselves by what they do and how that has a negative impact on their lives, all wrapped up in a cool bank robber thriller. Well, it's interesting that you should say that, actually, because, I mean, a lot of people listening to the podcast will know that this is... Well, first of all, there's a, this is in many ways the culmination of a lot of man's work. We'll talk about like the inspirations behind it uh, in general sort of a bit later on, maybe. But in particular, it's a remake of uh, L.A. Takedown, which is a pilot that he produced in 1989. Um, and basically, it's pretty much the same story. Like, if you watch L.A. Takedown, uh, you'll recognize on the same scenes. It even opens with, for example, uh, Vincent Hanna making love to his wife. He's wearing the same crucifix, for example. It's got, it's got that same I, opening. I have things to say about that. But we'll get to <laughs> Easy, fella. But one of the things that he did in extending that sort of 90-minute television pilot into a two-hour and 45-minute movie was not only he upgrading the cast significantly, but he also made a point to include more focus on the female characters, which is an interesting choice. He chooses to sort of broaden out the, the women who exist in orbit of these men, and I think that's a very conscious choice. Because I think you're right when you say it's about the consequences of, of masculinity and this idea of, like, this notion of masculinity. Because the characters in Heat are not meant to be healthy men. As much as they, they are matched, and as much as they embody certain yeah, archetypes. Broken yeah. marriages yeah. are mentioned he, numerous times. Yeah, passing a wife on the downslope of a third marriage. Or yeah. that wonderful description from John Voight's character of Vincent Hanna, where he's like, yay. That's the problem with divorce twice. Current wife's just in. He's worth the extra heat. Funny is a heart attack, man. Three marriages. What Ooh, the ah. f- you think that means? He likes staying home? He's the man is one of those guys out there, prowling around all night, dedicated. I would, I would think of myself as a fairly well-rounded person in, in, in some ways, but there's something compelling about that like single-mindedness that some of these characters have. Oh, where, 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 yeah, oh it where, is, yeah. Where you're like, um, I, where you kind of like fantasize about making the kind of sacrifices um, that they do, um, you know. But it's but it's the crippling loneliness that comes as a result. Like one of the things yeah. I, but I like to think that I'd be fine. But, <laughs> but I mean, well, you think so. But and even the that's characters, the, discipline. the, the, char- yeah, yeah, the, the characters themselves think that. Like there's one point when um, when Macaulay is talking with Edie, and she uh, she said he's talking about his yes, life, uh, his fake life, metal salesman. He said she says sounds lonely. He says, hey, I may be alone, but I am not lonely. But 
that's a, that's blatantly a lie. Otherwise, he wouldn't be with her for a start. It's also a fantastic sentence construction when you talk about man as a writer. Like I was specifically referencing that sort of line. Like that's a very sparse, very efficient line, but it tells you everything you need to know yeah. in that moment. And I think uh, that's one criticism which some people might have about the film uh, that it's for the kind of film that it is that it might sound over erudite and overwritten. But no, it's uh, um, these are people who as much as you might try and shoehorn them into any kind of uh, genre type, they're far too intelligent and they're far too well-spoken and they're far too professional in a lot of ways for that. Yeah, because he, um, he, Neil McCauley is, isn't like one of those other um, members of a crew that uh, Vincent Hannah might have taken yeah. down. He's, yeah. he's you see me doing throat-seeker liquor store hold-ups with a born-to-lose tattoo on my chest? No, I do not. He's 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 in a kind of cafe restaurant reading about what is it industrial um, metal industrial mm. industrial metal kind of, yeah yeah but uh, I, I like I, I do like that the film though as much as it it like it obviously it loves both and I think it does love both Hannah and Macaulay I think it has a great deal of empathy and compassion for them but it also understands that like the discipline and the sacrifices that they've made now first of all. Hannah is a disaster of a human being, to be to be honest. There's a great story that only came out, I think, in 2016, uh, when he was being interviewed by Christopher Nolan for the anniversary of the, the film, where he explained that his... El Pacino's performance on this is like, you could argue that this is the tipping point when you reach sort of iconic Pacino, sort of feeding <laughs> into like the devil's advocate. Are you I mean, talking about I, I, like where Shouty Al is becoming... Shouty Al is very... becoming dominant, yeah. Um, uh, I would have said uh, Sense of a Woman was the birth of that. Okay, but, but uh, yeah, this mean, is very it's a big like, step along that road. And definitely. one of the arguments was uh, one of the Oh, no. no, no, it's no. fantastic. It actually fits in here in a but lot of ways. That, that's it, is that uh, Pacino explained that it was a choice that he and Mann made during the process that Hannah would have a cocaine addiction that he was barely keeping under control. And the only... It was cut from the film, like a lot of the film was cut. In fact, the only residue of it that exists is a scene of him quickly wiping his nose. Cut and residue. <laughs> are, are they meant to be? Uh, they're, they're drug you know, puns. You yes, know, Darren, I'm, I'm he's, a, he's such a I'm, I'm hip and happening. I'm all about the drug culture here. But uh, it was... It was cut from the film you know, and basically the only scene that remains the only residue that remains of it is him wiping his nose as he goes in to meet Tone Lock at 2am in the morning I um, like that we don't even remember his name we just remember that it's Tone Lock because Tone Lock is just that I can't remember his name the character's name uh, it's um, uh, Terena it's Albert's brother oh well done very good top marks but there I is I can't remember the first name though Ooh. <laughs> what are you now? But there you'll is have, you'll have to find an inventive Al Pacino bleep for that one. Yeah, um, I, I get the sense that our censorship sound on this episode will be ambiguous Al Pacino noises. But I do, I love that. Like Hannah is very clearly not in a, in a healthy place. Obviously, um, as his marriage goes, and I mean Macaulay. Even though Macaulay, and well, it's a mess. Macaulay's a disaster. Macaulay, I spend all my time chasing guys like you around the block. That's a terrible. My stepdog. <laughs> this impromptu reading of Heat will um, my uh, Joe which one of us gets to be Val Kilmer in this one um, oh. Joe's got the hair I do yeah I'm, I was rocking the ponytail in tribute to Kilmer and uh, putting on a little weight but that I'm pretty method in that way but I can't do the although voice to be yet. fair as you have it right now it's more Val Kilmer in the doors oh it's true I, the weight gain is perfect for that <laughs> alright but anyway as I, I as I was saying, one of the interesting things about the film is that it inverts the traditional dynamic in that, like, you imagine 
Hannah is the police officer and Macaulay is the criminal, you would expect that Hannah would be the embodiment of order and that Macaulay would be the embodiment of disorder. But instead, you have this wonderful inversion where Hannah is like this crazy, out of control. Like, even if he's not on coke, he's very much over the top. Like, he's... Yeah, he's pure He's breaking through doors. He's smashing down, you know, sort of walls. He's throwing people around while yelling about various parts of people's anatomy. Like, there's there's a wonderful scene where he's interviewing um, the Tonox brother, and he's he's basically, for no reason, it's like, Give me all you got! Give me all you got! Yeah, or, or the great... Kill walking your doggy! Um, yeah. Which is just a really <laughs> wonderful line. Or, or, or when... Is improvised. Or when Torina is talking about Zeb's, his brother in Phoenix, he just suddenly starts singing. By the time this, I get this, to man, Phoenix, I swear, I swear, man, tonight's the best be I rising. can do He'll probably leave a note right on the door. Tonight's the best I can do for you, man. How I... A lot of this had to be improvised. But you can't imagine yeah, a man it's, writing it's, that, can It's you? like the, the character... Is is, is kind of losing it, but it feels like Al is, is kind of like feeding on his, it. Yeah, um, but and and he the character seems right. to be enjoying himself yeah. as well. Those scenes with the snitches. And the thing with, is, when you hear actors doing that on set, just letting rip and having fun, the results usually aren't as compellingly watchable. Yeah, yeah. Know, they're usually yeah. poison. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at how uncomfortable the other actors in those scenes look, you wonder, like, fits. what do I say now? Well, there, there was, going by there's the, the famous story about, like, Hank Azaria, which is the only thing cut from the director's, well, one of two things cut from the director's definitive edition, which is the bit when he does that infamous search, you got a great ass, and you got your head all, all the way up! Yeah. <laughs> Gotta make um, it louder, Darren. Louder. Uh, no, no, you don't. <laughs> looking, at the, looking at the levels here. After that, there's a line where he goes, ferocious, ain't I? And apparently, man thought that. That was too much. So he actually cut the um, he cut that line out, but he kept the scene running as it was. You get this wonderful reaction shot of Hank Azaria for a good three seconds, standing sitting there with his mouth open, looking dazed and confused. That's him reacting for real. It was shot on his thirtieth birthday. Actually, shot on Azaria's thirtieth uh, birthday. What that, a way to spend it! That must have been a birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine any other birthday he's had is disappointing. But in contrast to like Hannah's pure, out of control, unrestrained id, you have the criminal Neil Macaulay, who is disciplined and regimented and De Niro De Niro underplays it within an inch of its life this is fantastic because we think of like and maybe talk a little bit about Pacino and De Niro and their career trajectories after this but like it's very clear that I would argue De Niro was less far along his career sort of deterioration than Pacino was at this point, perhaps. Mm, I that, think that's fair enough. Because you have Ronan coming up. And even and, like yeah, the first meet the parents, the same I would year as Casino. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Jackie Brown was mm. as yeah. well. So it, like, there's a lot of really good De Niro performances around here, whereas... For another year. <laughs> enjoy yeah. it, kids. Um, enjoy the 90s while yeah, you have Whereas them. Pacino, like you say, at this stage, we're post-Godfather Part 3. We're, pa- we're post-Central uh, Woman. Woman. For which he won his Oscar. Yeah. Uh, you can hear my one, eyes rolling if here. If they had waited one year, they could have given him the Oscar for Carlito's Way instead. Carlito, he is excellent in that. that, was, that and it's that a great film. That movie. It is yeah. a really great film. But, last great to Palma, arguably. Well, here's the thing, yeah, actually. Yeah, you'd win that argument. Mm. Yeah, uh, I love the, the <laughs> moment of silence doing things. Doing a three-second reaction shot. It's yeah. more interesting, yeah. but no. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing, because when we were watching the trailer, it was the trailer is fantastic. It plays into the Pacino and De Niro thing amazingly. It's is the it? two greatest actors of their generation. You know, Collide. from yeah, from The Godfather to, to Scent of a Woman, which is from a nice Raging Bull to Goodfellow, and it, it, now it is really hard to comprehend just how big a deal this was because yeah. of course they were both in Godfather Part 2 but shared no scenes because of different yeah aside lines. from the fading or dissolving yeah, yeah. Uh, so 
the the aura around these two based on like those films that they mentioned and many others in the trailer it's that this is what you're, you're supposed to be seeing two titans like, titans like they say they're colliding yeah. and it's not so much a collision because the two of them are just so different yeah. in their approach not least to these characters but in their acting in general because you never think of De Niro say playing crazy he plays crazy characters but he never plays them in a particularly OTT or crazy way I mean Travis Bickle yeah. he's terrifying he's restrained but he is immensely and focused and that's what makes him all the more terrifying and Cape, Cape Fear is, is probably yeah. the one yeah. that's probably the one and even, even that's then, not even like you can imagine terrifying. well you could imagine the, Al Pacino kind of yeah you can imagine Al Pacino being given Cape Fear it would be a very <laughs> different film all the chin- all the uh, scenery would just be devoured <laughs> yeah. oh god he wouldn't not have bitten off he, would, he wouldn't have bitten off a, he'd have bitten off her old yeah. face <laughs> Juliette oh, Juliette Lewis just sort of there rehearsing only to find Al Pacino sitting in the corner eating the scenery from the stage play um, but there is a sense that and it's fascinating because like obviously De Niro and Pacino have reteamed they reteamed for Righteous Kill which was awful oh that was a honker it really was it was like if you if you want to see how far these two have fallen from here to there that's a great indication but that he, was the same guy who wrote uh, that Spike Lee film that I really loved uh, Inside Man John Avnett yeah yeah really no uh, John Avnett directed, directed it but I can't remember the name of the screenwriter he was a youngish guy and um, yeah, he wrote somebody's taken out their phone for IMDb, appropriately enough. If I can find um, it. And uh, the fax machine. And Inside Man was so good. So Inside Man is a, fu- is a brilliantly efficient thriller and smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's intelligent. And it and moves and it's got a great cast yeah, as well. Like, great like uh, Spike Lee flavour, New York flavour to yeah. it and everything. Um, and yeah, it blew my mind that. Um, the same guy wrote could be responsible for Righteous Kill but I mean even when that came out it wasn't as big a deal that you had these two actors and I mean even Martin Scorsese's uh, Kill the Irishman or I Hear You Paint Houses too Mm -hmm. that's got them reteaming as well and even that's not as big an event that's going on Netflix like god it's it's like going to see going to see the Rolling Stones now would be like fun I'd go see them tonight but it's not obviously not the hot ticket that it would have been going to see them in the like late Altimore, 60s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that um, is, is that Netflix thing they're doing? Is that going to be anything like The Family? Oh, with we hope shockingly bad. I remember I came out of that and the distributor was shaking their head apologetically, saying I didn't make the film, um, <laughs> which is the only time in my entire history of like film reviewing that that has happened. Um, I didn't think it was the worst film De Niro's made, but anyway. Uh, but to it, answer uh, Joel's question, by the way, that uh, oh, writer is name. back from the fact machine. Uh, indeed, uh, the fact machine has thrown up an answer. Uh, that writer's name, uh, Russell Gerwitz. He wrote Inside Man and Right Skill. He hasn't written a thing since. Well, the two may be related. Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible to imagine a film with two actors these days attracting that attention. Like, are there any actors working today that you think if you put them in a film opposite one another, that it would be an event on the scale of this? I doubt it. No, like, you see, there are no movie stars. No, that's anymore. it. Yeah, um, it's franchises it's... now, and it kind of yeah. The equivalent of this is Batman versus Superman, which is Oof. kind of yeah. Oh, oh, God yeah. Heavens, but it's but no, that's that's a fair uh, comparison. Um, because, yeah, obviously that's reading. tragic. That really is. But well, the, right. pro- the property right. is the star these days, as opposed yeah. to the the star being the star. Exactly. As I was reading an article about that, about how like Fassbender has made whatever three or four flops in a row now. The most recent of which we mentioned just a few minutes ago, um, the Snowman co-starring Val Kilmer. It all comes full circle. Physically, yes. Yes. Uh, if if right. not vocally um, um, uh, or emotionally, but. 
So there's all these uh, actors that um, studios have been throwing money at, like uh, all the handsome guys called Chris, the Hemsworths, yeah. your Pines. There's another one. I don't get why they throw money at Pine. I, I, I'm, Pine I'm, is the best of them by someone who's a solid actor. Pine is a solid actor. Well, have you seen Hell or High Water? No. Hell or High Water is the right. best film that a Chris has made. That a Chris has made one of the one of the Chris's. I'm not willing to stake my claim on like the finest movie anybody ever named Chris has made. But into Christopher Walken, his filmography is filled with classics like Prophecy Three, but yeah, um, and Prophecy Two. Country... Was he in Prophecy Two? I think he skipped that one. Oh, did he? Yeah, good. Take it of communion. But there's a doozy. Country Bears. Um, this ain't over. Bears. But you, I, I think you're right when you say you couldn't. Yeah, they, they can't make movie stars anymore. Even Jennifer Lawrence can't open a movie. Um, she like was, Mother. Yeah. yeah, Mother is a good example. Mm. And, uh, that, mind you, Mother's a hard sell. Yeah, anyway. it was a hard sell. But even so, like, Passengers underperformed. And yeah. she, there's, I can't think of an actor who is a big box office draw now. Like, on that scale. Who people get, yeah, on that scale, who people get excited. Nobody goes to, to see, see those people anymore. Yeah, which is a real pity. Yeah, back in the 90s, I remember... Um, and I'm bringing this up because it's one of my favourite zingers I said <laughs> but um, there was an American woman said to me that she would go see any film with Julia Roberts and any film with Denzel Washington to which I said well you must have gone to see the Pelican Brief twice but <laughs> Problem. but that was the case and I knew people who would just be like I'm going to go see the new Schwarzenegger film no matter what even if it's uh, collateral damage yeah, exactly even if it's the sixth day and um, <laughs> or end of that, days yeah end of days is actually end of days of is of, yeah of the three that we've given up oh, like you the, must be joking of the Sophie's tr- what is the be- what, yeah. of those three of which all the inquisitions I've had the Spanish inquisition was the best <laughs> <laughs> but, but my uh, point is yeah they, we yeah it couldn't happen and I was talking to friends about Heat as well but I can't see a film like this being made now like a two and three quarter hour uh, crime drama that unfolds at this pace that has this budget that has actors this expensive um, well, I, feel I just like couldn't picture it being made maybe HBO would make it as a miniseries but I couldn't picture mm. it in the cinema I feel like they're, they're, they tried to do it and I, like a lot like, we're, like we're, we did we speak earlier was it on mic or off mic about public enemy yeah, we talked about public, yeah. which will be another uh, Michael Mann film, probably. Yeah. And I think a lot we, of people approach that though, expecting it to be you think, like Johnny Depp, Christian Bale. They were expecting maybe Heat in the thirties. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It, it's a very different film though, and not just <laughs> stylistically. It's really melancholy. Immensely so. Very, very. It's no, not, that, not that not that Heat is a laugh riot either yeah. necessarily. Well, I think but yeah. It's sold as a caper, uh, public enemy. Well, I think that's just the na- I think that's just the uh, the nature of the, well, the, the marketing time set that's, and the marketing. Uh, like, you I know, mean, people want to see Edward G. Robinson again, see? Yeah. yeah. Even Black Hat people didn't go see. Even though it's I went to good. see Black Hat. I know. Black Hat I, there's another one I'm glad to defend. Yeah. I know. God, that, that. You're a man, man, is what I I'm getting. I am a man's man. Very much so. Um, <laughs> I, I enjoyed the hell out of Black I Hat. I love Black Hat, and loads of people didn't like it. I don't. I didn't like it to start, though. I will admit that. It took a while. But um, it. They're all very much of a piece, all of man's films. Mm. The well, he has a lot of so interests. Yeah, he has a lot of interests that sort of bleed through. He is, he is an auteur. And I mean, that's the thing when you focus on, and a lot of his, his work has attracted attention for, as we discussed, the technical aspects. He has a lot of key thematic occupation. I mean, masculinity, as you talked about, is something that comes up repeatedly in his work. Mm. But even stuff like this fascination with systems and this fascination with structures. Like, I would argue that, for example, Heat is one of the great Los Angeles movies in that it, it's a movie that is fundamentally about the 
space. Like it's telling that, for example, you mentioned earlier that like Macaulay goes out and he's, he's reading a book at a restaurant. Like the film is filled with this idea that you can be perfectly alone in Los Angeles. And it's this idea of the, the city of quartz, the idea that Los Angeles's architecture and structure is actively hostile towards its inhabitants. It's, it's alien. It's, it's abandoned. It's sort of, it's a place Boring. that is... Yes, simultaneously overpopulated and empty, for example. Like, I mean, Mann has talked about how one of his inspirations for the film, and it, it, it gets a direct sort of visual reference in terms of that great shot of um, Macaulay coming home to his empty house and staring out the window, is the uh, painting... The Alex Colville Pacific. Yeah, the Pacific, yeah, it's which... just... There's a... Edward Hopper that looks a lot like it as well. Mm. Well, there's the the well, Nighthawks, which I think Christopher Nolan has said, like it, it looks very much like Nighthawks to him, uh, where it's got that sort of diner, sort of like Americana. But for that, there's shot. another one looking out into the blue sea during daylight as well. well by that, Hopper, and I can't yeah, remember yeah. the name of it, but yeah, well, it looks just like that specific painting. That was a direct inspiration yeah, from it. Because it's got the gun shot. on the floor, the gun it's on, on the, the table yeah. behind the yeah. figure standing at the window, and it just that all enveloping blue. I mean. Um, there's there's not a whole lot of colour in heat in it's very Boston. sterile it is very sterile like you Macaulay's say, suit is grey for example all and the suits are grey black yeah. variations thereof but all the lighting is sort of fluorescent as opposed to fluorescent as opposed yeah. to uh, yeah, the primary colours they're all desaturated where they're present at all yeah. uh, but anytime there's blue anything like that scene scenes that are set near or around a pool or just the Pacific, the Pacific. you can always see that well, not yeah. always you can often yeah. see the, the Pacific, Pacific during when De Niro's character is talking yeah. to his girlfriend well, I mean, so but it's always about calm it's always yeah, like, that's it, it, it there's a peace and a calm in the blue it's yeah. always just Sure. It's amazing how Joe mentioned like it. This is a modern day western, and it is a modern day western because it is in many ways like even structurally like it opens with an armored car chase that might as well be a sort of a train robbery. Yeah. It has a bank robbery, which sort of is like what you would expect from an old western film. And it's this idea the, where the masks over their mouths. Like, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it's a shame actually that we don't have a um, a woman here to 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 answer this question. But I was wondering, watching it is is De Niro's um, Neil Macaulay in this movie meant to be a kind of um, uh, fantasy <laughs> character for for women because he has that edge, but he's also a very good listener. No, he's he's a fantasy he's a fantasy character for men. Uh, 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 yeah, he definitely is. But the, but like, there's so many scenes where he's like, oh, yeah. Tell me about that. But that's like, yeah. that's just because a, he doesn't want to talk. Like, he just wants to. Yeah. He can't. Like he's emotionally talk. constipated. Yeah, he you can't afford to open up. It's, yeah. it's, okay. it's you know it, it's it's his maxim. He can't have anything in his life that close, or else yeah. he won't be able to get away. But when we're talking about the Western and the Pacific, like one of the things about the the Western genre, and one of the things about Los Angeles, and we talked about this on Chinatown, is Los Angeles in many ways represents sort of the end of the American West, like existentially, and you have the Pacific, just this big ocean. And it's no coincidence that like when Macaulay is talking about when he's standing on the balcony of uh, yeah of, of Edie's house, because of course they don't go back to his house, they go back to her house, and she's staring out Very over. Nice house. It is for describe it. Yeah, as a bit run down. A bit run down. I want that house. Well, the grass is allowed to grow a little wild. I don't know. But, um, I don't know how much she makes from her graphic design business, but I, I'd like to think I could maybe afford the rent on Dude, that. That would be phenomenal. That's, that's not, not even her day job, job is it? No, no, that's and just on the side. The yeah, yeah. Oh, she's got two jobs. <laughs> I mean, she it's living in the that place. It looks great. She works in the bookshop 
for minimum wage, but on the side, she is the world's best paid graphic designer. <laughs> but she just wants to make it work. But yeah. there is the fantasy aspect of the film, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. But like talking about talking about the lights in Los Angeles as reminding him of sort of Algae in Fiji, uh, Fiji which mm. is not, not only reflects the the famous oh. what's it the discussion from uh, Roman Polanski's observation that Los Angeles is best viewed from a distance and a great height, mm. um, but also oh, plays, while you're fleeing the authorities. Yeah, um, but it also kind of plays into this idea because he wants to go to Fiji, which is Fiji is so far west that it's across the international dateline. It's imagining that he can push further, like past Los Angeles, past California, past the Pacific, and find a place where he he belongs. Mm. Do you know who else wanted to go to Fiji? Truman. Yes. Yeah, which uh, is another one. Those it's because Fiji represents like the oh, the world that could be explored. And um, uh, Red Dwarf, uh, Lister. Wasn't also, expecting that. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I that also wants to go to Fiji. With cash. Who doesn't want to go to Fiji? Who wouldn't want, want to go to, to Fiji? Is, is it good? It's beautiful. Yeah, is there Al guy? Uh, there was an old guy. <laughs> is it luminescent? <laughs> um, you know, I found that line hilarious. So I was like, remind me of this luminescent algae. Fiji. I, I, <laughs> like, or, <laughs> but this is the only thing he opens up about over the course or, of the film. Was, yeah, it was something like, like it's the one point where he stops to, to stop asking her about things. It's like, you know what I care about? Luminescent. Okay. It's like De Niro's here, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's like he's in the room. But somehow he's never in the room at the same time as Al Pacino. I can't figure that out. Um, He's already shot from the back. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that says a lot about the the Los Angeles that they're in and the Los Angeles that man... I don't think he has to work that hard to create because we've talked before about... There seems to be two sides to LA in terms of how it's presented in movies. So you have your... The movies about movies, your La La Lands, your Singing in the Rains, and whatever. LA story. Your LA story, even. Yeah, the where it's episode. romanticized beyond all sense of uh, logic. And on the other hand, then you get things like Chinatown or this. Or even Pulp Fiction. Like. Or even Pulp Fiction. Where it's LA Confidential. Or LA Confidential. Well, I, th- I like to think of LA Confidential as maybe a marriage of the two. But in this particular case, it's. It's not dealing with anything about the movies, no. that side of LA at all. It's very much the underbelly, crime and just play, locations you don't usually associate or see in Los Angeles. It, I mean, that, many of them don't seems... exist anymore. Like the, um, the the lot where the shootout occurs with Van Zandt's men, for example, was pretty much paved over by the time that. the film was... Well, it looks yeah, like they're doing it during the yeah. yeah. drive-in, yeah. the abandoned drive-in. Yeah. The aban- and and also even the, the restaurant. The restaurant where the, where the famous coffee shop meet takes place, that's closed down. Yeah. Oh, but that's sad. It is. But even in terms of uh, just from the opening, you get the... the you, know, you want to think of LA, usually think of it as a romantic city. What do we open up? Public transport, a train, the MTA. Yeah. Uh, well, he, and De Niro, he gets off that, he just goes down the escalator, and he's always in motion, which yeah. just seems to be the recurring theme. He always has to keep moving. He's like, yeah. well, like, uh, and like the greys he's wearing, he's a, he has to be, he's like, the a same shark. is true of Hannah moving. as well, because Hannah thinks while he moves. Like, when he has the marriage breakup, the first thing he does is Jeez. hop in a helicopter well, and drive a car to chase down Macaulay. Well, Hannah is different. Like, you, you can imagine Hannah pacing. Like, it'd be, it'd be <laughs> well, because of his cocaine office, addiction, yeah. Kind of just go uh, forward and back, and it's like, oh, ha. But it, with, with um, you, 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 you don't. You don't imagine um, Macaulay uh, pacing. It feels like every movement he makes is economic. Is, yeah, he's, he's the guy in the crunchy nut advert who doesn't need the crunchy nut. He's um, because I, I, he has everything I, timed, and 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 he he's he's going at just the right pace. 
to get uh, where he's going because he's planned it beforehand. Well, I mean, there is this sense, this recurring sense of Los Angeles as a place of systems, as a place of, like, uh, interlocking elements that constantly interact. Like, there's... All the characters tend to interact in public spaces. That's it, Tom Noonan. You just have to grab it. Yeah, Tom Noonan talked about the internet and the systems and stuff like that, but even driving down the freeway... Our um, obligatory um, (laughs) Robocop reference. Tom Noonan of of Robocop 2. Kane, I... But, uh... But this, the, this is very weird for Joe. Joe That's has fun. no sense of context for this. It's a heck of a beard Noonan's rocking in this, as yeah. opposed to his look and so many other things. He, he just he only spent two days shooting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, everybody. It's, it's, everybody. Little, it's only a little roll, but he fills it up. Yeah, so it's one of my favorite scenes in that film, and it's. Uh, the older I get, the more films I watch, the more I learn that there's no small parts. Yeah. Um, so, and I've I've read a few list articles about. Uh, scene stealing one scene performances and some of those scenes have no right being scene stealing yeah. like uh, Chris Rock ordering the ribs and I'm going to get you suck out that's the did you ever see that scene? no yes. I've never seen the film that's so good I haven't seen the film I've seen the scene uh, <laughs> but yeah that, that scene is hysterically funny well, and he, um, as Chris Rock happened? tends to be as, as he tends to be it was just like his breakthrough role and he was in mm. it for five minutes uh, like you say so, though one scene you can make all the difference yeah no small parts and same with Noonan in this scene he's so compelling and he's so believable and a lovely thing about Heat is and reflects a bit of what Michael Mann is about in general is it feels meticulously researched it feels yes. like he's done yeah. acres and acres of boring research like Macaulay um, he spent seven weeks ha- driving around with patrol cars um, and stuff like that he, I, li- the- I like the the, um, the, the, the the kind of comparisons and contrast between Macaulay and huh. Mann because I thought earlier when Phil was talking about how um, how Mann sold the movie to um Edie, uh, the, 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 sorry, the actress playing Amy, Amy Brennan. It, it yeah. seemed like Macaulay is a, um, a bank robber who's telling Edie he's a salesman, but man is a salesman telling Edie he's a director. <laughs> oh, nice. So it's like, uh, yeah. No, I, I, I dig that. I get that. So it's like, oh, you don't like this movie because. Well, that's why we want you. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's, fra- that's fair enough. Similarly to Warner Brothers, you probably didn't say this is a really melancholy drama about middle-aged men. This no, is a bank robber movie Robert with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. That's Batman. how you sound. Wait, and Batman, I like that. Yeah, just but, take the people's money, then give them the melancholy. But I, for me. Like, when you talk about how meticulous the research is, I mean, do you guys know that, for example, Macaulay's based on a real person? That's true, there was um, a real Neil Macaulay. Um, and even Vincent Hanna's based on Adamson. Um, real cop in was, Chicago, I believe. Yeah, and the two of them actually, he was chasing down this, this bank robber Macaulay. Mm. And at one point, um, and again, I think it's based, it was after an argument with his wife as well, he bumped into him randomly and said, I didn't know whether to arrest him, shoot him, or buy him a cup of coffee. And like, if you've seen the film, you know exactly what he yeah. did. They had a conversation. And again, it's not, it's, pretty much exactly like the the conversation in the film in the 60s this bank robber this this robber and this cop sitting down and saying look if I see you again, I am probably going to shoot you. And it's like, well, I'm not going back to prison, so I will probably shoot you as well. Sample force and a movable object. I mean, that's that's exactly what happens in the film, but it comes from that real place. These are two, at the nub of it, these are two professionals. Whatever about their personal lives and how they're effective, but they have... The two are driven by a mutual respect. They're two sides of the same coin. They are but very. They're they so are. They're inner and outer. Like yeah. they're they're within and sort of without. The two sides of the it's same a, coin. It's yeah. a strange kind of a one because of how 
Pacino's life is ruined by all of this, um, like, um, this junkie who, who put his baby in the microwave um, uh, and all that sort of thing. But he's seen the things that that um, Macaulay and his crew have done. Like he, he's seen the, the the kind of innocent people um, who got in in in, in the way. The, 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 and by the way, the, I actually really like that about the film is the fact that they are willing. Like Macaulay is sympathetic and compassionate, but he's also incredibly ruthless and violent. The scene where at the start he executes the third uh, police officer, the third sort of guard, because yeah. you know it's a murder one beef for all of them, so it doesn't make a difference if you kill two or if you kill three, yeah. and it, it doesn't leave a witness no if you kill a third. Yeah, like that I makes mean, sense. the the film is, and I really like that. It's as sympathetic as it is to the guys robbing the banks. You don't get any like noble samurai sort of nonsense yeah, you get honor like among thieves yeah kinda. like when tom I mean, these sizemore's are just people who are looking out for each other that's yeah. about the and for themselves like when tom sizemore goes running and grabs the little girl to use as a shield despite the fact you know he has a child himself like mm. there, there's a an honesty in that that i really really it's appreciate brutal, yeah. yeah but there's probably grades of um of <laughs> villainy <laughs> i think there's oh yes Who's, who's guilty of a lot of things, but one thing that particularly spoke to me was when he orders a coffee and then walks away. Yeah. Without taking the without, refill. Yeah. Would, yeah. This is another it, 250 podcast trope. You want to get on Andrew's bad side, you waste food in a film. And it's <laughs> literally the first thing that Wayne Rowe does. Like, it's not even... Like, oh. He, yeah, he hasn't even started to, to annoy, drink it. annoy Tom Sizemore. It's like leaving a toddler on behind. He hasn't executed um, a, very a hostage... He hasn't, um, we'll talk about that later, he, he hasn't, you know, murdered a prostitute, an underage prostitute. I like that, like, Wayne grows, like, a, he's like an onion of evil. Just yeah, when you think yeah, you've right. gotten to the bottom of it, it's like... He's going and going. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's a pedophile, him. he's a neo-Nazi, he's a serial killer. Like, I he, love that, like, as much as the film doesn't believe that Macaulay is evil. He, it's like, yeah, Wayne grows kind of He doesn't leave evil. buildings when fire alarms go off. Yeah. One of those difficult yeah. people. I That's actually a, read yeah. an article about fire alarms this week. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Tell us more, Joe. Uh, what the... This is sarcasm. It is actually quite interesting. It is social so conditioning. Fire, yeah. Yes, uh, fire alarms don't exist to um, tell you that there's you a fire. You need to leave. Yeah. They don't... That's not what they're for. They exist to tell you that if you get up and leave the building you won't um, be ostracized or made fun of or you won't uh, face uh, consequences. Yeah, you won't face consequences. You won't get into trouble with your boss. Um, so they've done studies where they've had people do these kind of placebo, these fake exams and people be invited into a study hall to do this. And then they fill the room with smoke and see how long it was until they left and people will be coughing and hacking and waving the smoke away from <laughs> while trying to fill anything yeah and then like the other group uh, would be sitting there and there wouldn't be any trace of a fire alarm a fire except for the fire alarm and they all picked up their books and jackets and walked out I feel bad for being sarcastic about this article now it's, this is fascinating it is yeah, absolutely yeah, it's, it's very right. it's very Stanley Milgram-esque it is. It's all I can only assume that's true. The experimenter guy. <laughs> oh, the yeah, Stanford, where, where, there, where it's like 10,000 volts. And yeah, and the, the screaming oh, and the yeah, smoke yeah. and stuff like oh, that. Yeah. yeah, how you condition people to respond to stuff as well. well. So Wingro doesn't follow the social norms. By yeah, I, I, I like that. I like that that's what spoke to you. I like that we bookended this. It's the food waste for Andrew. It's the not leaving during the fire alarm for Joe. The, the murder of the child prostitute in the middle. It's like, eh. That's, that's one of the things about... Too. Yeah, that's <laughs> one of the things about this character, though. It, that he's another potential criticism. 
Another potential criticism. Is that he's a Nazi? Is that he's just so? There is. He's cartoonishly almost. Yeah, he's cartoonishly even. He's based on a real person. Oh, for heaven's sake! Of course, it's my Tomat. Of course, he is. Yeah. And he's her No, unfortunately, he was found nailed to a wall in Mexico. Oh well. Wow, really? <laughs> yeah, he, he informed again on a, on a bunch of bank robbers. Um, and then he was found shortly afterwards nailed to a wall in Mexico. I'm not sure there's much Trejo? of an... Um, but you can... You <laughs> can funny, Dan, yeah. Trejo playing himself yeah, it is, in this movie. Dan when, Tre- I imagine him going after Wayne Grove. Um, but but, uh, oh, that's the other machete sequel we're yeah. waiting for. But he, he is. Uh, it's, he's called Trejo in it. And I mean, like, he was one of the consultants on this because oh, Danny Trejo has been be inside a, Folsom and he used to right. be a robber as well. So he was also an advisor in terms of because I mean, the, and so was uh, and yeah. uh, so was uh, Eddie Bunker, yeah, okay. who, who inspired the yeah. John Voice character. Yeah, and of course oh, yeah. he himself Bunker played uh, Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, on which he was also a consultant. Exactly, and it makes sense. I mean, you know, you get guys like him and Trejo uh, involved in this because besides the fact that they have these past, they're well, both familiar with cinema and they're actors in their own well not Bunker but Trejo certainly they're, yeah. they're bringing authenticity to proceedings yeah. and if uh, if nothing else man is all about that well it is I mean there's, they show well first of all famously during the bank robbery sequences mm. they use the actual sound of blanks firing that was recorded on location rather than dubbing it over using ADR yeah. and special effects uh, because man liked the way that it sounded in sort of the vague empty echoing through Los Angeles mm. so the sounds that you actually hear that's why they don't sound like regular gunfire in films they sound they have this sort of echoey quality uh, but also they cows don't look like cows in movies no, you have to sellotape uh, cats together. But um, also Val Kilmer was apparently, they did weapons training, and Val Kilmer was so good at that. Um, yeah, that there is a, there's a moment in the film where he changes his clip. He yeah. is gone. And it is so, it takes him a couple of seconds, ducks behind a car, takes the old one out, puts the old one in, slams it in, shoots again. And apparently that is so good and precise that they use that in US Army training now to show soldiers how to effectively change the clip of your so gun. So you're wondering oh, what right. Val Kilmer is doing in this movie? That's what Val Kilmer is doing in this movie. I, I like Val Kilmer's Kilmer. great in this he movie. He is. Yeah. yeah. He um, broke my heart in that last scene. And speaking of bookends, I kind of love that his first and his last scene involve a false ID. So in his first yes. scene, <laughs> yes, that's right. yes. In his first scene, he's buying check the charger gun. cash uh, built to uh, what was it Paradise Construction Tucson, something like that. Yeah, and he holds up the ID and doesn't smile. And, just, and then in the last scene, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah he gets stopped. Scene. Yeah. And uses the idea. I mean, let's let's talk about this because one of the things about this, and you mentioned this when you talked about uh, Edie, is all the characters in the movies. Like, this is a movie that is two hours and three quarters long. It is it is an epic film in in many ways, and there are certain elements that you can see what will be cut. There's a famous uh, US TV version that was cut to ninety minutes, excluding commercials. Oh, yeah. why bother? Man was like, man actually offered to go back and insert another fifteen minutes to bump it up to three hours, so you could do it as a miniseries, similar to what they did with, say, The Godfather. But um, apparently the network said, no, we know what we're doing and we're going to cut it down. You can see a lot of stuff that you could, in theory, trim from the movie. Um, so, for example, character arcs, including people like, say, Dennis Haysbert as the chef. Oh, but don't say that. No, no, I'm not. I'm not no, I'm that building, has I, to stay That's in. one of my I'm, favorite scenes. No, I know. That's, that's what I'm saying, is that it looks oh, like, theoretically, in, the, in theoretically, yeah. in abstract, it's something that could be cut in that it, it doesn't feed directly into the narrative. But, but you've got one it, less interesting character then. And it, it plays so well. It's like a little uh, mini short film yeah, in the I, film. I, a little mini I, project. I, yeah. I feel like you, you could have taken out the scene with... Um, William De Niro and Ashley Judd where he confronts her about the oh the yeah guy, clean like, up go home 
Yeah, no, I will set no. you up myself. That could have that could have been revealed, I think. With um, no, in, in because the, then you had to you had to establish her relationship seen, with Hank Azaria's character. Yeah, you had to have seen Hank Azaria, and then also it added uh, it also had, sympath- of sympathy as well, well to, to both characters, to yeah. both her and him, and and it makes him more complex in that you get you a sense what their relationship might well, be. Well, also, yeah, that that as much as he is lonely and isolated and sort of like he he's an island unto himself. He is very clearly invested in the lives of the people around him, mm, mm, yeah. and he understands this. And maybe he doesn't understand materially or emotionally what it's like. For him, it's a transactional thing. It's basically, look, you stay with Chris for as long as it takes us to do this job because yeah. you make Chris happy, and I don't want Chris developing a cocaine addiction. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. But he still he likes him as well. Yeah, he yeah. does so clearly. I mean, it's almost like a mentor mentee relationship, yeah. or father like son, father son. Father son yeah. Particularly when he's with Jeremy Piven, the the doctor. Mm, oh, um, yeah. There's a very much sort of a sense that like uh, he wouldn't leave him behind like and he's actually really disappointed when he discovers that chris went ahead without him for all that he claims to be a guy without emotional attachments like macaulay clearly does he lets him crash in his place he talks to him about his marriage yeah Yeah. when he when he does crash in his place you uh, also get a uh, prime view of the infamous kilmer elbow you know about this Go for it. If you ever, if you rewatch the film, the scene. This actually came up when I mentioned Heat on Twitter. By the way, when I said we were doing Heat, somebody said talk about Kilmer's album. I'll do. All right, whoever that Twitter person is, uh, you're welcome. In that scene where Chris is in uh, Neil's place, having been conked fought, out on the floor, conked out the floor, no having furniture. fought with mm-hmm. it because of furniture, but having fought with um, fought with his with Charlene, his wife, Kilmer sits up, and you see this horrific deformity on the end of Val Kilmer's elbow and that is a remnant of an injury he picked up when somebody didn't catch him in a stage dive during one of the takes of the concerts in The Doors and uh, that's just a very weird and distinguishing characteristic he has so there you go trivia fans off you go freeze frame weirdly when you said he picked up an injury I was thinking I bet it's the doors I bet it's the doors of course it's the doors even though he made Top Gun and stuff on that plane he didn't actually get in the planes I don't think looks like a plane crashed into his elbow (laughs) yeah I suspect yeah I was wondering what sort of deformity would he have while still being a movie star that he could have conceivably got on Top Gun that volleyball scene was really intensive (laughs) yeah exactly Broken glass on the side. Well, that uh, weird science rip-off film is in Real Genius. Yes. Yeah, that's the kind of film I could imagine you pick up an injury. Mm, but let's face it, the doors was always the most. <laughs> and and not due to the stunts, just about the shoddiness of the. Uh, <laughs> exactly. the, shoddiness of the we were talking about the, the scene novel. where where he finds Kilmer in his apartment, and he's sort of fatherly towards him. He, yeah, he cut it on some holy metal. <laughs> Oh, in in Batman, Batman forever. forever. Yes. Oh, Sorry. holy Which is the worst metal. Batman movie ever. No. Sorry, Batman Robin. There it is. It just... There's yeah, Batman no, no. Robin Dark is worse. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> no, no. Don't even. What a hack. Um, <laughs> Actually, the, You're listening to the top 250. He's <laughs> a massive influence on the Dark Oh, it is indeed. It is. Massive influence. It is, I mean, the, the opening scene, scene, the yeah. bank robbery, that right. is... Uh, right down to the casting of William Fickner as yeah. the bank William manager. As a, as a mob banker, basically, which yeah. is what he is in this film as well. Yeah. Um, and again, this is an, um, Fincher's character here. The is music another, and the editing and everything. Even the structure thing where you have the, the big two set, you keep the actors separate for up until the midpoint of the film, you bring yeah. them together for a conversation mm. scene, and then you keep them separate until the climax where one of them wins. Um, it's, it's outstanding. Like, you know that uh, Man 
reverse engineered the film. He decided that he wanted the film to end uh, with that shot of Pacino and De Niro sort of holding hands yeah. um, under the plane as well, which is another example of the transportation that runs through the, the, the film. It's yeah. the, the it's idea of Los Angeles so as a city of movement. So yeah. Yeah. A city that's always on the move and yet nobody actually gets anywhere. Yeah, which is, is which very is much... unbearably a... tragic. And he, he uses it again in Collateral, for example. Like, Collateral um, um, ends with... With him leaving on the train, even though he... And it's at the same stop it. as well. Like, it's, it's as well. It's, it's oh, the yeah. same choice of location. And another and character... And another cool, cold, professional character with sharp suits named Vincent. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it's, so there there is a a lot of that bleeding through it, and I mean yeah, the bleeding through. Yeah, (laughs) it's because he's dead. To, to, to be clear from the beginning, I wish I did my job the way these people do their job. Like they, that's as well, much that's, as, as flawed as they are, way. God, they are good. Yeah, that is a much better so way good. of saying that, yes, I, I <laughs> wish I killed people the way that they killed people. Yeah, <laughs> unlike the way I do kill people, Although, which is uh, sloppy. We've told I, you about this before. I did like that you pointed yeah. out the, the sloppiest thing that Macaulay does is when he's trying to kill Wayne Grow at the start and gets distracted by the cop car. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's it, fair it, enough. But there's a few little things like that. They had cops sketch like if you had a shot <laughs> if you had a shot somebody no, you, like in front you, of a cop that would have been a bad idea you just say it called sketch I, it's yeah. not like they're playing a prank in I the classroom I had to think about that and like because we, we've watched movies before and we see really? like bad <laughs> like goodness we, um, almost 50 of them like in no country for all men I had some problems with with with, with with the way um, that bah, 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 bah. Javier Bardem's Anton Chigurh Anton Chigurh with the way Anton Chigurh was choking that uh, police officer it seemed like there would be much better ways of doing it but but with, 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 with listening watching movies about murder with you Andrew is very revealing the w- thing I wondered uh, <laughs> when, when when Macaulay doesn't kill Wengro is like what should he have done there and I, I, one leg either I, side presumably yeah, there's there's there not a lot of option when you think problem, the cops are on the way. There's problems with 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 a few different approaches he could take. He but, could have gotten down on the ground, I suppose. Um, yeah, but it, it's like that Pixar rule of storytelling. I don't. You guys have probably read it. There's these ten rules of storytelling for Pixar, mm. and uh, one of them, and one of my favorites, is coincidences that um, help the protagonist are bad, bad storytelling, and coincidences that hinder them. Are good. So it was really That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, it was a really unlucky coincidence that a cop came along at that moment. It's like, ah. Yeah, it, was really it would, it would have been. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a bit less. Uh, you wouldn't have bought him more if, say, they dragged him outside and uh, beat him up a bit, and then he actually stepped out into the path of a passing car and was killed. That would have been just a bit too much. Yeah, there's a I bit too much. Think of another oh way well, we got rid of him. Hooray! Yeah, well, not only that, but even if. He had to give them a slip on whatever, a big bus got in the way, and then yeah. he's got like he's being driven by Sandra Bullock yeah. with yeah. Keanu Reeves. Oh, nice. He hops on the back well. of a tra- dumpster. As, as, yeah. I, as I say, I don't know how I would have done it better. It did seem a bit out of character. It's like, oh, no, where do you go? <laughs> 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 I Mr. De Niro, it's I love honor. the image of Robert De Niro underplaying his frustration with yeah. not being able to kill Wayne Grove. <laughs> Your De Niro <laughs> impression is really growing on me. Sorry. I really like it. Like it's a, a fungus. <laughs> well, I will say this for De Niro in the film. Yeah, he doesn't often get f- that frustrated. But when he does, he brings real menace to it. Like the scene where he finally confronts Wayne Grow in the hotel. He, mm. He's shot him twice in the chest. And he's still... Ha- and while he's trying to take his last gaps, he's going... Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. 
and then blast him right in the head. I mean, even the it's... shot where he kills Fincher, where he throws the thing through yeah. the window and just shoots him. Wagro, where is he? Where is he? How the hell would I know? Bam! Just a, there's a menace right so, there in those eyes. But again, and, and again, to talk about the ending, I love the tragedy of Macaulay, who is a character who is so emotionally remote. And it's made a big deal of not being able to walk away from anything in, in 30 seconds flat. And by the way, he does. It's a really nice touch. When he comes out of the hotel and he sees Hannah and he spots what's going on, um, the Robbie Collins from the Telegraph has timed it to 29.8 seconds between him seeing Hannah and him deciding to move the other direction. Wow. Which is, wow. like, well, I mean, you believe that about man as a you, filmmaker. Well, that's the precision we're Wait, talking bro, about. But, like, the fact that, despite the fact Macaulay is, is so he? clinical and is so cold, that he's he's capable of getting away, but he chooses not to, which is that great tragedy, but it's a wonderful sort of character. There's, driven there's a great tragedy as well in Van Zandt, perhaps waiting the whole day and like trying not to listen to people tell him the results of the ice hockey game just when he gets fa- no, when he gets home to watch it it's really over come on please <laughs> and then but no he shows up <laughs> is that what he's saying it's nearly over I don't remember <laughs> that being enough. is it is that one of the additions to the director's cut <laughs> <laughs> I love the image that like as he's dying they're he's dying he's like, yeah. <laughs> if he's like where is Wayne Grow? well let me tell you about where Wayne Grow went <laughs> so keeping one eye on the Story. Uh, I'm going yeah. to spoil the end of the hockey match for you. Now I'm going to pop you twice <laughs> in the chest. Uh, Rangers you... lose. <laughs> I love the pettiness, the sheer unrelenting <laughs> pettiness of it. There, I have to say, when I rewatched it yesterday, one thing that struck me, you know, it's a, it's a, for a film with all this, this edginess and flair and style, uh, the violence when it comes, um, it's, it's shocking just for a moment just enough to kind of throw you a bit like you know, yeah it's very the, forceful and jarring yeah like uh, the shooting of Wayne Grow, uh, he just two taps right right in the sternum you actually feel that and even the uh, edits like when uh, yeah. Wayne Grow's about to kill the prostitute and then the next shot is the beer, beer being opened, opened. Yeah. snapping so the neck it is yeah. brutal and, and uh, even even after Wayne Grow gets shot the quick the very quick so there you barely miss it sort of shot of Wayne Grow with the blood on the on the curtains behind mm, him as well. Yeah. Like it's all very, very effective. Like it's it's wonderfully well constructed, very well made. Yeah. Um I I, I think man again he's a director who remembers that uh, violence has a power and so use it sparingly. Well it is, like I mean have all the cliches of this being a sort or of a massive hour of conversation before somebody fires exactly. between gunshots. Yeah. And I mean, like, for a film, we've talked about this being a film that's very masculine, considered sort of cliche and masculine. It is very romantic, it's very sensitive, and it is very restrained, like, which I really, really appreciate about it. Like, it's a film... It affords all this time to that wonderful yeah. dialogue. I mean, like, there's a wonderful argument I read. I'm not sure how much of it I agree, but I think that, that man was in some ways trying to deconstruct the sort of 70s-style machismo of New Hollywood in casting, say, De Niro and Pacino, but also even, say, the, the Peckinpah-style violence, where... Mm. Mm. Everything is ruthless and sort of brutal and horrific in a Peck and Paul film, whereas in contrast, in Heat, it's sort of sad and melancholy, um, and that, that was very much a conscious choice that he was making. Mm. Um, I just, I just struggle to see how you make that much of a direct connection between the violence in Heat and the violence in anything Peck and Paul does. But the I, shootout in the middle was, reminded okay. me of Peck and Paul. Well, okay, that that is fair enough, except yeah. with not as much bloodshed. I think but just that's it, exactly. the, the that's... impact of that shooter, I think it just com- it comes from the sound, the sound design and just the sheer volume of bullets that are fired. Those Because they, they use something like a thousand rounds. Ones. They use something like yeah. a thousand rounds in every take. Which is... is... Yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Something kind of funny about it is that 
we were, I remember I was living at home at the time and my brother and I were re-watching Heat for the umpteenth time and the, when that big shootout happened in the middle, my dad said, well, that's a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Which is what dads say. Uh, but as it happened, uh, there were, my, my brother said, like, actually a shootout just like this in LA after a bank robbery happened last week. Like, yes, this yeah. is the 1997 North Hollywood shooting. And they actually found the copies of Heat in the bank robber's apartments. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they, they had, had planned this around, part- much like... They yeah, now I imagine they hadn't planned the shootout. Your job is to phone, your job is to torture one of us, kill our family member and leave us bleeding out in the ground and then call the cops. Yeah, yeah. We'll get a short order same. fry cook to be the last minute getaway. Yeah. Same my nickname. <laughs> but there is, yeah, say slick. Say slick. But it is. <laughs> no one calls you slick. I, I like that, I like that. Because Tom, yeah, exactly. I like that Tom Sizemore's alias is what he calls other people as well. I'm not sure aliases work quite like that. But um, but it could, well, it could happen because there was a. Sometimes people get a nickname just from them saying the thing, and there was so if somebody repeats something so many times, people call them the thing that they yeah, repeat all the time, or a variation. Yeah, I know, I've known people like that. Yeah, I know a guy who used to always say, ah, "I'll survive," like so he'd complain and he'd be like, "Ah, sure, I'll survive," like, and then people kept. Calling him Gloria after Gloria Gaynor, I yeah. will survive. Ah. Um, so things that, that nicknames can come about. Yeah, I mean, if, you, if Chirito calls enough people slick, everyone will call him slick. That just makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. that's. It's not the most unrealistic aspect no, of and it, this again, time. It feels real, doesn't it? Yeah, and it is. And I mean, like, it is interesting that we keep coming back to the word realistic and the way that the movie style and research and stuff. It is very operatic as well. Like, it is yes. very consciously yeah. stylized, and in the way that we, you talked about it being a western and stuff like that. But it has this sort of epic almost mm. sort of like it's structured symmetrically which I like as well in that you have the the centerpiece is the, the, co- the coffee scene the scene where they're together drinking coffee and in that they have this sort of big Freudian discussion about dreams which you know um, man is for all that man is considered a realistic director who's very grounded and technical like his first film was The Keep which is, is very Ooh. much yeah uh, I no, watched that not so long ago. it's nuts it's a bunch a, a bunch of Nazis going up a cut rate version of Apocalypse from X-Men it's bizarre it does, it's bizarre. And Liam Neeson and no, Gabriel, Gabriel Byrne Gabriel Byrne sorry Gabriel Byrne as a Nazi commandant and Scott Glenn as an alien assassin and if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about oh, the keep oh. I don't know what will <laughs> you heard me I like that Andrew I is the person not well, he, I thought he was I a vampire was. I read the book now um, but I thought he was a vampire he's not of this <laughs> Andrew, from the sound of this, Andrew thinks this is the most amazing movie ever. Ian Scott McKellen's in it. Ian McKellen, of course, Darren. Yeah, yeah and he, it's brilliant. It's, um, it's Ian McKellen's in it as a non-Nazi. That's right. As a non? As a non. After Rap Pupil, or before Rap Pupil, he wasn't non, Nuns on the run. Uh, oh, not again. <laughs> yeah. Please, not again. But um, um, it does have this quality, and it's structured symmetrically. So you have two action sequences before uh, that, in that you have the robbery, for example, and you have the botched robbery where they try and take down the, the platinum exchange, which is based on a real thing that happened, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the real Macaulay did, and and man, you're saying that's a lot. Well, man, based on real events. But when when man heard about it, he was fascinated that you'd walk away from something that you set tens of thousand dollars. You invested tens of thousand dollars mm-hmm. in setting up, and then after the scene, you obviously you have the shootout, and then you have the final chase as well. Mm-hmm. So it is uh, like it's very much it is operatic, and it is very broad, and it is sort of mythic in a way. Mythic, but but it's a mythos that is coming from a practical place. There's uh, that. 
uh, line that um, Charlene says to Chris early on, you know, she says, it's not worth the risks you take, like risk versus reward, baby. It's, you know, it's... it's wonderful. <laughs> your your Ashley Judd is actually better than Andrew's De Niro. Well... <laughs> I like um, <laughs> on the off chance that Ashley Judd is listening to this, uh, I hope she's not too insulted. Also, you were wasted in Olympus Has Fallen. I mean, that was just... As opposed to Double Jeopardy or any hey, other... Hey, she made money off Double Jeopardy. Yeah, not a bad movie. I... It was not very good. Um, I have a story about Double Jeopardy. <laughs> so We mentioned Ashley Judd. Go ahead. You can have okay, it. Okay, so we're going into spoiler territory, but I think Statue of Limitations, As 20 <laughs> odd years, is fine. <laughs> Anyway, in Double Jeopardy... Well, what's the crime? Being in Double Jeopardy. Nice. Uh, so, in Double Jeopardy, um, the trailer betrays the fact that she was framed for murdering her husband. Yeah. And so she can't be convicted for it twice, hence the title Double Jeopardy. Um, As somebody who studied law, that's not how that law works. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> I will take your word over the film, definitely. But uh, Bruce... Bruce, Bruce Bursford. Bar- yes, Bruce Bursford. Oh, from the director of Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> I know, I know. Was that the last film I to think... win the Best Picture Oscar without a Best Director nomination? Uh, yes. No, 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 no. no, no. Argo. Uh, did Argo not get a Best Director uh, no, nomination? No, sure. It didn't. Oh, right. um, but anyway, Double Jeopardy, they intentionally cast an actor who was unknown at the time, um, Bruce Greenwood, um, to play Ashley Judd's husband. Uh-huh. So that when he falls off the boat they... and they think he's dead, you assume he's dead because it's not a famous actor. Um, and then and loads of well-known actors were up for this role and Bruce Bowser was like, no, unknown actors, so that everyone would assume he's dead. And then um, it's supposed to be a huge surprise an hour later when he pops up. They're like, whoa, holy crap, you're not dead. And um, the, But it's the entire the premise stu- of the film. The studio, no, well, the studio, well, it's, it was originally supposed to be just a female version oh, okay. of The Fugitive. Ah. And then, like, towards the end when Double Jeopardy, the reason for the title is revealed, people go, wow, ah. I didn't know that. Um, so, but then the studio made a trailer that completely spoiled it all. I had like the second last scene of the film in the trailer <laughs> with Ashley Judd explaining what Double Jeopardy is and Bruce Greenwood being alive and having faked his own death and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, we've seen a lot the, of trailers like this. Yeah. And the director actually like wrote like an email to the studio saying, "You've spoiled Please. Take this trailer away. You ruined the yeah. thing. And, um, you they made said, the movie. We made the trailer. Yeah, this well, is our baby. They, yeah, they yeah. just said, thanks to your input. And, and release that trailer. Yeah, and release that trailer. And also, the <laughs> fact that uh, that was considered, that they hired Bruce Greenwood on that basis, it just proves that not enough people watch Exotica or 13 Days. Will, that, will those have been beforehand? I haven't seen Exotica, but 13 Days is good. 13 Days, excellent. He's a great jet. 13 Day was after that, though, wasn't it? It was it after was. that, yeah. My point still but stands. Bruce Greenwood's awesome. Sorry, no, he is very good. Nobody's seen it, it before. It. Yeah, nobody had seen it before uh, Before Double Jeopardy. Oh, that much is true. <laughs> All right, then. Take out 13 Day Swap with the Sweet Hereafter. Okay, but um, Phil, actually, I noticed we didn't ask you Heat was about for you, actually. Oh, um... Damn, I wasn't expecting that. I, I, I was it's the question with, I we was, ask every week. I know, week. but I was so happy with Joel's answer. He captured it very well. What, what, is, what is it about for me? Is, is that the question we're going with, yes? Okay, so you're talking about, uh, for, about masculinity. I don't know where to go for Okay, here we go. I suppose my answer feeds uh, off, off that a little bit, in that you're talking about uh, how the, this men's dedication to... Um, their what they do, you know, their these kind of masculine traits, how they 
you know, their cops and robbers roles is isolating them from their relationships, from everything else that could make their lives good and well. Uh, to me, the perennial feeling of, of the film is um, it's a film about loneliness and how self-perpetuating a feeling loneliness is because you know, you have these two guys who are united not only by their admiration for each other's skill but they have that same feeling even though relationship wise they're in kind of different places Macaulay is just beginning a relationship and as Hannah says he's on the down slope of a mar- of his third marriage well there's a great quote from Mann where he says they have the kind of intimacy that only strangers can have well, sometimes you have to look at look at things from an outsider's point of view to get to get to the numbers yeah. and these two characters they i i don't know if they realize just how lonely they are before they actually encounter each other it's a it's a, you just don't know they're, oh, they're uh, only the, somebody yeah. like them yeah. could understand them exactly uh, it, they're they're almost soulmates in a way uh, it, it might sound like a really strange way of looking at them but they're the only two people who really get each other like you know, the uh, the people they work with, they will admire them and they'll do their job well together. But you know, there's they're apart they're, from they're, them. They're, they're apart they're from them. Like them. They're not like them. Like, uh, say Hannah, for example, he's not like Bosco. He's not like Drucker uh, or Macaulay. He's you know he works well with uh, with Chris. He works well with Chirito. But at the same time, like there's a great he's scene separate. where they're, he's separate. There's a great scene where they're they all go out to dinner uh, and. <laughs> I just remember thinking, wow, there's Macaulay, he's the eighth wheel. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else just seems so kind of happy. And, and it's mirrored later on. And, yeah. and yeah. it's mirrored later on with the cops dinner as well, where you have stuff like a Ted Levine improvising a story about the, Raoul. About the Raoul, Raoul his but, classmate. But you have great. that juxtaposed with the sadness of Hannah with his wife, who, who, who's left alone at the party. Yeah. it's uh, the, <laughs> And then when Hannah is... At the hospital at the end. Um, with Natalie Just Portman, with by the way. In her second role, Natalie Portman's second, second role. role. After I mean, Leon. She is wow. breaking him. She in really is. Well, and the, again, another wonderful small role. It's, yeah, yeah, no small parts. No, no, um, yeah. but, but when Hannah's Hannah is left... In this case, a small actor, though. The, yes. Physically. We'll talk later about Ralph. Oh, yes, Ralph is the We'll come back to Ralph. We've got to come back to Ralph. Ralph but yes, you were saying, Natalie Portman. Uh, yeah, in the scene where, in the hospital, and Hannah is sitting there, and then he gets the beeper, gets the beeper. call, and his wife lets him go. And I remember, actually, I watched that with the girl I was seeing at the time, and I said, what do you think of that scene? Would you say, would you tell him to go if you're that wife? And she said, what's the point in Hannah sitting there if he doesn't want to be there? Yeah. What's the point? It's like in school, if you're not there... Yeah, yeah emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, then when he's let go, he's like a kid who's just let through the gates coward. of Disneyland. Yeah. He's yeah. Like, it's it's the one he's, moment. He's cracking CI's skulls yeah. and he's sort of yeah. tracing down dead bodies and he's hopping in helicopters. Yeah. And he's, you, you, can, you can imagine that... There, the, he he knows when to delegate at the same time. Like like if 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 uh, if, if if he was he given a job that Drucker was given to do, <laughs> <laughs> like where where Drucker makes his plea, yeah, he's yeah. like, listen, you've you've got no <laughs> living parents. This kid, that's my favorite scene. That is yeah. my single favorite scene really? in the movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, Makita um, um, Williams is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, he's amazing in it, and. Um, 
He goes yeah, down home. a road there. He's like, so your kid, yeah. he, uh, he ends so up in foster care. Yeah, Maybe foster he care. gets involved with a gang. Maybe one day. It's shocking and cruel. It's so, but it's so plausible. Like, that's that whole journey of so right. Mm. Every word yeah. he says is right. Yeah. And then we just says, what, what else he's selling? And he says all sorts of stuff, but this sells itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's so right. And it's my it's my favourite scene, because it's so beautifully acted, it's so simple, yeah. it's and so it's well a, written. it's between two secondary and, characters. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's similarly, uh, early in the film, when um, Dennis Haysbert is drunk, and he says, why are you proud of me? Uh, or sorry, why are you with me? Because um, I'm is proud Alfred of you. Is it Alfred Woodward? No, it's not Alfred Woodward. I, oh, I must I have been Yeah, um, but I, I'm, but yeah, yeah that I'm scene. proud of you, baby. The that tears in Haysbert's eyes, I, yeah. that got me weepy when I rewatched it. And I mean, unlike, like we mentioned it earlier, just in terms of why you wouldn't cut Haysbert from the film, is the fact that he dies almost instantly when, in, as soon as the shooting starts, he barely has a line once the robbery starts. He's waiting outside mm. the car and he gets shot. But, I love that you get a full story for this guy who would yeah. otherwise be just a crime statistic. Who would yeah. otherwise, in any other movie, he'd be the guy who's barely there. He'd be the extra number three played by some guy who you're never going to see again because he was probably a stuntman. Yeah, he'd be a red shirt um, as opposed to a you know and the, the tragedy, whatever shirt he's wearing. Oh dear! The That's... tragedy of like a criminal not given a chance to go straight and how. Well, it is because yeah, it's, it's, it's an example. Well, it's an example of, of what that conversation between Makita Williamson and Ashley Judd is, which which yeah. I really like, and everything. The little boy could grow up to be that. To be Dennis yeah. Haysbert, and and through no fault of his own, and there is like even within the film itself, there's wonderful symmetry as well in this idea of like Haysbert as the ex-con who's trying to do right in contrast with Raingrow who has embraced his his worst yeah. self and just sort of let himself go. And the 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 kind of lesson about crime is that like. Who is it that says it in the movie? But it's like you only. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's John Boyd's character. Yeah, he, he, he only has he, to get lucky once. He only has to get lucky once. Yeah, which is what the IRA said when they tried to kill Margaret Thatcher. Ah. Oh, it's, it's true. When they uh, there was like that explosion and they tried to kill her and they released a statement saying <laughs> she has to be lucky every time. We only have to be lucky once. Yikes! Uh, but um, what you're saying about uh, that scene. Uh, towards uh, the end between uh, Drucker and Charlene Mm. I loved that scene and the scene between Hannah and Justine in the hospital because like you say they're laying out a certain kind of they're finally realising what the truth of their situations is so Charlene Charles realises that um, if she doesn't help the cops out and give Chris up that her son could may go down that route now chances are Drucker is just Okay, man. Uh-huh. I mean, like you've seen I like it to keep, maintain a certain sense of optimism, but, but okay. you've seen it happen with Dennis Haysbert. No matter how, once that first and thing happens, character as well, he yes. could have gone up like that too. Well, there's a there's a possibility that a uh, well, an orphan mm. in the flawed system could grow yeah, up to yeah. be president, but it's very slim. Yeah, and but, I mean, it's it's interesting that you should say this because I mean, Edie Amy Brenneman apparently when she got the role, she came up with a character. Uh, she came up with like a backstory for her character. Man comes up with all these detailed backstories for his characters, like pages and pages and pages. Um, but apparently, um, Brenneman came up with the idea that she was maybe attracted to Macaulay because um, she had some sort of deep secret in her past, some sort of past trauma that drew her to a wounded man towards you know somebody who she knew was toxic and, and whatever. And apparently, when she told Man this, Man was like, "No, no, you you see the one good thing in him. That's that's your your arc. You're simply you are drawn to the little spark of goodness inside him." Mm. 
Yeah, because the audience has to see him through her eyes. Yeah, they have to identify with her because by seeing the thing she sees. Why I want to go back to those scenes towards the end is uh, one of my favourite lines in the film is just when Anna and Justine, they're in the hospital and they're talking about you know, what they want, why uh, Lauren did what she did and what they're trying, you know, have they any future then, basically? And he um, and Anna just kind of looks despondent, not even directly at Justine, he said, I'm not what you want, Justine. That's a terrible impression, but it's just... At it, that feels like the first point in the film where the two characters have been absolutely and utterly honest with each other. And they're just kind of little gut punches all of a sudden. Yeah. And and also, I'll just take the opportunity to give credit to uh, Diane Venora, yeah. an actress who never she really the got the... She, she, yeah, she's one of the faces of movies in the 90s for me. It, around that time, she had that. She had... Um, the Jackal. William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. She's she's the I'd rather forget the Jackal, personally. Yeah. And also, she gave one of the most underrated turns I can think of in uh, Bird, the Clint Eastwood movie. Oh, Charlie Parker. Oh, it's f- fantastic. And she's fantastic in it. But uh, she does a great job here as well. Um, apparently, the role was written for a redhead with thighs that go on forever. So apparently, she, she laughed heartily when she got the role. Uh, well, which uh, one? Uh, her role. The, the I don't know about her thighs, but she is defiantly. That's the way female haired. roles are written. Yes. Yeah. We, we talked about this when we talked <laughs> about Ken great. Kesey. Um, yeah, we talked yeah. about Ken Kesey's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. yeah. Philip yeah. was very modest about uh, having seen that obscure Clint Eastwood film about Charlie Parker. He's not one to blow his own trumpet. I like it. Hang on now, hang on. You're dealing with the king of puns yeah. over there, yeah. so let's not get, let's not get started with all of that jazz. Oh, yeah. nice. Ooh. I, I like that as well. The <laughs> funny thing about Heath in my life is that my wife and I use expressions and moments from it in everyday conversation. But of course. But of so, course. So when, uh, if I'm thinking of putting on a wash and hanging out the washing on the line, we don't know whether or not it's going to rain. I have been known to say the bank is worth the risk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, said that about like, things like that. I'm like, oh, the traffic be bad going to Tesco or something. And then one of us would Bank is that. worth the risk. And... Um, yeah, we've we've exchanged. It's like a risk versus reward, baby. Yes, <laughs> and, and we've we've done that. Why are you with me? Because I'm proud of you. So like, if oh, but, but only for like mundane things like doing the dishes or something. Aww. So I'd be like, hey, guess who back in the living room? My wife would say, I'm proud of you, baby. Like it's obviously mocking me because I'm not as, I'm not as strong willed or as tragic as that guy. And then also we can, also did a dish. Yes, we actually did. And. Uh, then also this doesn't work on a podcast as much but if we're like in a shop or something my wife wants or in a party and my wife wants to leave and she wants to tell me in such a way she does that hand gesture that oh, she does, does. does <laughs> project last scene she has with Val Kilmer mm. so it, yeah a few of the and do you leave on your own <laughs> yeah. you, you ask the nearest guy where, where it's good to get where it's good to get food around here <laughs> Andrew, actually, just to bring this podcast full circle and to go symmetry with uh, with what we talked about, at the very start you said you had thoughts about the introductory scene of uh, Vincent Hanna, particularly when he's introduced. Oh, yeah. When they're making no, this, the... this is just a weird thing that I've <laughs> spoken about um, in a pre- previous movie uh, aptly called Dango, 
um, where there was a, a dangling jewellery scene. Um, oh, yeah, I, I was like, do people like that? Well, it's necklace. He wears it in the shower as well. Of, like, yeah, it's like all going in her mouth and stuff. And it's, ah. <laughs> you're, so you're, you're, like, this is purely from a practical point oh, of this view. Oh, is, this is because you don't like oh. the taste of metal. We've talked about this in the podcast. Who's dangling what? Are we the remake of Kiss why, why is there all this dangling jewellery? It, re- it really... Like, I know it's just me, but, like, I was thinking about it the other day because I, I had... For some reason, I was... Oh, yes. Yeah, there were drinks vouchers at, um, at work Halloween. Um, <laughs> which, is, but, which is separate which from is secular thing. Halloween. Yeah. Um, so um, Different date, I imagine. There were, there were drinks vouchers, but they're on a bracelet. And I remember thinking, when... When people are wearing bracelets and they go to the loo, like what? What? There, there is. Well, this is the like possibility the possibility of splashback. Well, there's, oh, there's also the possibility that people don't wash their hands, which means you have to touch the door to leave the the bathroom area. So you're you're screwed anyway. Yeah, I feel like I feel like this is sort of worthy of the film yeah, that he's made. I think so. I think I think the the jewelry got a little bit too much. I think I think uh, I think she was a lot like me in in. So you think that's uh, why the relationship broke up? Yeah, but wasn't comfortable to speak. So she had to degrade herself with Ralph. Which, who, by the way, Ralph, Ralph, in order Ralph, to get kosher. Ralph another is, fine actor. Ralph is the Sandra best. Sandra Bark. Yeah. Yes, um, who my played, favorite, that guy from that thing. Who played Wayne Grow in the original LA Takedown, uh-huh. um, oh. which is quite interesting to see. Um, and it's great because it's like t- it's like TV movie Wayne Grow. So it's, he's like, he's like a, he's not like a sort of a, a pedophile neo-Nazi. He's just like an over-eager puppy. He's like, mm. I think about doing it again. I think about doing it again. I think about doing it again. Um, and so on and so I, forth. I, 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 I kind of like... They're like looking at her, being like, "Have have I degraded you enough now? Can, can I, I leave?" Can I, I love the bit where she's like, "I have to degrade myself with Ralph to get yeah, your attention," and, you. and you're like, "Ralph is right, right there. there. <laughs> <laughs> like Ralph is sitting it's there." Well, right. he's alright. He sit there and he can watch his hoo television set. Well, you know that's a scene from Crime like, Story as well. That's a scene from Dennis Farina does the exact same thing in Crime Story. If we're talking about Michael Mann plagiarizing himself. Yeah, why not? There had to be a Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a I was in a I writing like... class once and uh, sorry no, uh, no, to interrupt but I was in a writing class once and my teacher said that when in doubt put somebody who's not involved in the scene in the scene so if a couple's having an argument like oh it's not quite it's... singing stick them like in a restaurant or yeah. a funeral or that's something exactly like what that. Ralph is or, yeah, yeah and Ralph is that just like Move the argument to public by having like an Ralph tr- just trying to watch television. Just something for them to bounce off. Yeah. But yeah. I like made them dinner and all. Yeah, and I'd like to think that Ralph was you also. Wouldn't do, you wouldn't do that if they thought they were degrading you. Him. Well, if she wants you to. If she, if she wants, wants you to. to. But I do like. I'd like to imagine that Ralph also drove her to the hospital and is present in all the hospital scenes just off camera. Um, so he's sitting opposite them while they're having that this could never work conversation. <laughs> You've got a lot of faith in humanity, don't you? <laughs> Good old Ralph. Yeah. Well, he, he just has this sort of beleaguered puppy dog look going on throughout the film. Have you been on worse dates? <laughs> I have been on worse dates. He but has. He's told me the story. But um, um, I didn't get to meet De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, That'd be a thrill. I just feel yeah. like uh, we're talking about Sandra Barkley, and we've mentioned the likes of Diane Venora and so many other actors. And then there's so many other collaborators. I feel like Heat is just a film full of unsung heroes working behind the scenes yeah. I mean we've talked about the cinematography Dante Spinotti mm. uh, he's a, a, a god 
this. I mean, man has always got the best out of his cinematographers, but just the the grays and, so and the crisp and the fluorescence uh, and the, the compositions as well. Yeah. Like, um, the, the overhead shot during the bank scene when De Niro's walking on, on the, the bank counters. Yeah. 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 Or even the scene of him driving away with Edie through the tunnel where they're sort of bathed <gasps> almost in like, as if like a As baptism. if like you're home free. Yeah. That's super <laughs> metaphor. Yeah. So then they, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love yeah. that moment because they're driving through and they, they get cleansed by that. Light. It's just, ah, because yeah, it's so, so stylish and yeah. so all-encompassing, you forgive any kind of obviousness of it. Yeah. Of my, uh, similarly, but then it goes dark again yeah. and he changes his mind. And he gets but, the, yeah. yeah. But similarly, one of my favourite shots is actually in the uh, that sequence for the opening credits, where just after De Niro's got off the um, got off the, the train, the L train, yeah, yeah, and he's walking along. There's an overhead shot of him walking across a car park, across car park, and then cuts to a low angle shot as he walks what is clearly the grounds of a cathedral, and there is a replica of a Pieta scene right there, and the film doesn't have any kind of ideas necessarily of good and evil it lets you paint those in well aside from Wayne Grove aside from Wayne Grove as we've discussed (laughs) I think Ralph Ralph is is the opposite of Wayne Grove well for all we know hey now he he was involved in a cuckolding yeah I just love that because one the statue is bathed in this fluorescent light from behind and it's like it's shining down on both the statue and Macaulay as he goes by and you just it feels like this like something is shining down Call it some kind of divine presence, as if to say, this man is off on his mission, but uh, it's not going to end well. It's like there's almost a foreboding, and that's just something to me that that the cinematography and the framing just injects from the first in the first scenes. And just very quickly, man's use of music as well, because the film is constantly filled with ambient noise, even Mm. playing on the background. And so much drive. Yes. So like I used to. That was the first film I've seen where. And the music has a low-level synth almost all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, now it's just everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, like yeah, there's even a, even a great scene where like Vincent Hanna's going to a nightclub to meet Tone Lock, but mm. getting out of the car, there's ambient music playing from the car. That's that is um, uh, Brian Eno and you two passengers. Yeah, yeah that's always a great track. Yeah. And but I mean, it's Force Marker during the robbery as well as Brian Eno, isn't it? It's Force Marker. Uh, Force Marker. Uh, yeah. You know, for a soundtrack full of ambient music, it is. It's. Just a great listen. Uh, Elliot Goldenthal, one of my favourite. And the Chronos Quartet. And the Chronos Quartet. And a lot of Moby. And a lot of Moby. There's two Moby tracks. Um, Coolest. God Moving Over the Face of the Water. It's the famous one over the end. Although um, Goldenthal did compose a piece for Ah. the end credits, uh, which... uh, He repurposed. He repurposed, and it became uh, the end track for the soundtrack to Michael Collins. He replaced the electric guitar with violin, I believe. Exactly, uh, just to give it that Celtic feel. And that worked out well, because he got an Oscar nomination for the Michael Collins score. Uh, But uh, You can hear the original on his website, actually. And it's it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful track. But uh, Man went with the... the Just... As soon as you hear those pianos at the start of uh, God Moving On With The Face Awards kick in, you just... It's, it's cathartic. It's, it's cathartic. After like yeah. two hours and 45 minutes, it's just amazing. Yeah. I actually wanted to say something else about the music, which is that the music switches to these operatic strings on two occasions, I think I can think of. One of them is uh, the Portman's character's suicide attempt, and the other is when they discover the body of that dead prostitute. That yeah. is it's, a fantastic it's, piece of music. Mm, yeah. yeah, it's really powerful because... Um, the whole movie has this um, urban feel mm. and the modern even the yeah. music's actually aged astonishingly well for mm, yeah. the era I thought it should date it but it doesn't because yeah. it's a little ahead of its time it's got this lovely and it's urban ambient, style yeah. yeah this ambient urban style synth and then 
um, jarringly switches to this like, gut-wrenching operatic music yeah. during those uh, big emotions. Yeah, well, they're almost to give this, and I think, I think that's a conscious choice, though, because yeah, the film sure. does the same sort of. The film does the same thing as well, and that it, it, I think there's an argument to be made that man, it's, man has been described as a film who make, as a filmmaker who makes old stories in new ways, and that he's obsessed with new technology and new techniques and, and sort of new craft. But his themes and ideas are very broad and very old-fashioned. And it just got me thinking that that scene with the, that other operatic piece when they find the dead prostitute. Um, before that, uh, Hannah gets a pager saying, "This better be earth-shattering," and then he goes along, and you have this huge uh, emotional operatic moment. And then as the strings wind down and he comes back to uh, collect Justine, she just looks at him and goes, I guess the earth shattered. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I, I just, that's exactly what that piece of music feels like. And again, and that's a wonderful shattered. small scene as well because that's not really technically necessary in terms of the story, but it, it plays into this theme of like living and dying in Los Angeles and the idea that like it's a city made up of these lives that are disconnected but are somehow brought together like it's got that yeah. it's got that really great Robert Altman style feel with the ensemble where it's a bunch of lives that wouldn't normally overlap and the fact they only overlap because Wayne Grow kills the guard otherwise it would just be a standard stick up job and nobody would care that Wayne Grow is not the man Wayne Grow um, is not the man at all no, no but he, um, he's, he's not a hot dog um, or, or any of those other things <laughs> that, that he describes himself oh, as. Or, no, she, she describes ah, yeah. like, uh, you mean she might have been lying why she, would she do that uh, actually, one more thing I want to say was that I was, earlier I was talking about how films like this don't get made that often, and then we talked about The Dark Knight, which was a film like it. Um, but I've been talking to friends about this and about how, like, wow, if they wanted to make The Untouchables now, the they just have to rewrite it so that, like, Al Capone was the Penguin and Elliot Ness was Batman. Batman or something. So and it it feels a little like that that we wouldn't get these kind of big budget yeah. crime epics unless we slapped a superhero a, a recognizable on. intellectual property because I mean that yeah. that's that's the I mean, argument. Nolan that, is Nolan has yeah. a has a carte blanche to write what he wants, but he's, yeah. he's he's one of he's very few. Kind of, like he's a a movie star. Yes, he is. He's a brand name. Yeah, a brand like name. Dun- yeah. and, and he was see. the name for Dunkirk. Like it wasn't yeah. Tom Hardy or Killian Murphy. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was Nolan. And that's a status that Michael Mann, despite his clear technical precision, it, that's that's a status he can never achieve simply because he doesn't make hits very often. Uh, in fact, he makes a lot of flops. I think there's the argument that Mann is, is like De Palma and in that he's got this very strong core group of fans. I like Mann a lot more than I like De Palma, to be absolutely clear on this. But he's got this sort of, I mean, there's this wonderful description about how De Palma and Mann are intent on making their fans sound like apologists. Because there is. There's like, I love Black Hat, like you two guys love Black Hat, but yeah. nobody else likes Black Hat. For We're the yeah, three. Like, We're the ones. Nobody likes Passion. Yeah. That De Palma film. From I didn't ago. mind. I had fun with Passion. It's silly. <laughs> but God, I, 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 I I'm, I'm a much bigger pa- fan of uh, Man than De Palma, I was stressed. But as a as a technical stylist, I mean, nobody, it, he's a great Hitchcock De Palma, tribute De Palma has said himself, he, nobody has adhered to the Hitchcock playbook quite like him. And it's absolutely true. And it's fun to watch that. Even in Park Chan Mok? Uh, not what a self con- No, he may. He, Stoker. 
with Stoker oh, and Oh, Oh, yeah. Um, he's not he's not quite not as slavish to the oh, Hitchcock yeah. he's ways. He's more of a classicist. I'm totally. I love Park Chan. Yeah, same here. Um, but uh, he's, uh, he forges his own path more so than. than Depp. Depp. Well, I don't think it's that great uh, claim to lay. Like nobody <laughs> yeah. mimics people as slavishly and without <laughs> imagination like me. Nobody <laughs> makes a soulless copy of a yeah, dead artist. Self-deprecating. Like, yeah, I, 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 if you want to see a real Hitchcock movie, see a Hitchcock movie. Yeah. But if, if you, you want, want to see an imitation of Hitchcock <laughs> yeah. movie, I've well, got a full filmography. No, I do love a lot of De Palma films. Yeah. Mm. Like, um, I love Casualties of War. I love The Untouchables. I love Curly This Way. Yeah, and I like a good few of the others. And I, I Carrie, even, no, sorry, Carrie Blowout or uh, Blowout? Yeah, oh, great. Really, Carrie. Yeah, I really yeah. like. Um, there's, I Just don't say the Black Day. That's terrible. Oh, that's a terrible film. Really it's such is. a great book. And, uh, it isn't, though. I, oh, I rewatched that. And one Snake so Eyes, I even like aspects of Snake Eyes. The first two thousand of Snake Eyes. But that's it. Well, Snake yeah, Eyes was so famously good. rewritten because yeah. it needed an action climax, if I remember correctly. Wasn't yeah. that the story? Was that he. No, it was. <laughs> it's terrible. No, they, it had um, a climactic scene where there was a massive flood and the whole casino got washed away in flood. And for some reason, it got rewritten. And there was, even during the film, there's a scene where Nicolas Cage is walking along through the casino and the wall creaks and bulges a little and nothing becomes of that ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, so it's just one of those classic troubled productions. But the first, like, yeah, I agree with Philip, the first hour. Yeah. Everybody so loves Nick Santoro. tracking shots. Holy yeah. heck, nobody does but that anymore. De Palma's yeah. a great formalist. Like, in terms yeah, that, of. Like, that's what, exactly. And I would argue that what you need to do with De Palma is just give him a script that isn't his own, that he isn't latched onto or attached to, mm-hmm. and, so, and let him. So this week, yeah, we just get one of his fans, yeah. but next week. We'll be watching Heat. But no, and I, I think Man, though, I think Man is. is I really, really like Man's output, and I think Man arguably has more of a claim to being an underrated director than I think De Palma does, because Man is his own, oh, yeah. mm. his well, own, his own man, if you will. Well, you were talking about De Palma as like part of the big five. No, well, the 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 perception is that yeah, that De Palma is the forgotten. He was he yeah. was the outsider. Yeah, that's because it. Because he never got the acclaim of Coppola or Scorsese, and he never enjoyed the financial success of Spielberg. Yeah, and his the and his ginger stepchild. Yeah, and there's a very strong argument in certain film critic circles that like De Palma is like if you like the Buster Keaton sort of effect. It's the you know well which one do you like? Well, I like Harry Lloyd. It's like well I like Brian De Palma. It's, it's got he's got that sort of cash about him. I think. Uh, so yeah. jerks like him. Is that what you're saying? Cinder Bruce. Genuinely like pulp. <laughs> I, I, like we touched on it briefly, but I think probably my favorite part of the movie is, and I, it, it doesn't really uh, let you know any more about any of the characters. But it's 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 that scene where um, Van Sant is is sending his um, SUV to 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 double cross them. I just love like every moment of that like what, the going, one, oh, the oh, wide oh. eye the wide angle lens that makes yeah. it look alien and hostile so the person... And they, they, like you, you you you've never seen that in a movie. The, the, it, like he's going up and down on, on on the humps and trying to, to shoot at the shoot through the window and then the, the It's all very being turned around decisions. by by uh, oh, yeah. Val, Val oh, Kilmer yeah. then just at the gate like the and Tom Sizemore Tom Sizemore is in it and the the there's just something so like it, it. I mean, we 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 talk kind of. I suppose a lot about the themes and the kind of the power the, of this. This this was just really a fantastically of, made yeah, film. Absolutely, and also just coming back as well to that, the, just that momentary but 
full-on brutality of those shootings. I mean, like you say, the guy's actually flipped around by the force of the bullets. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a fantastic shot where he's shot by Kilmer and he whips, he's whipped around and then, and then he's he shot by De Niro over. and then he gets hit. Yeah. It's like you feel, you really feel almost sorry oh, for that guy. Really he really rasputin him. Yeah. Well, he got... He got I love that he gets... after the door has... Uh, he'd been has crushed. Been crushed yeah, he'd yeah, been crushed that's... and he tried to hop into the back of the truck but the guy was like, nope, screw this. I'm out of here. Like, you really feel bad for Van Sant's hitman, I have to say. Um, <laughs> Another oh. forgotten character of Heat. He's the Ralph of that shootout. I think is where we're going with this. Um, yeah, he was like, I'm, I'm, I want to be, I want to be the the, um, the fifth man on, on this job. It's all oh, it's taken by a guy called Wengro. But we have another job for you. <laughs> yeah, how would you like? Now to he's a red shirt. You do wonder, like, do you like the outdoors. <laughs> I wonder, like, how how Wengro got that reference, presumably from uh, John Voight's character, where it's like, yeah, he's got a solid reputation. Comes with these these references. He's, he's got, got like a slew of his Yelp reviews are off the chart. <laughs> <laughs> his LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, did, did I tell you those were bank robberies? They were uh, no, they were raised. Do you have um, um, yeah. Do you have any embarrassing I, tattoos? I, I feel very bad. Um, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, with that in mind, then I think the only thing left to do is to pick the movie that we are going to do next week. Phil, if you wouldn't mind opening up the IMDb 250, we'll make this a group activity. And I think we're going to delegate the random number generation to Joe here. Actually, do you want to ask the guys if we want to bring in the bottom 100? Ooh, that's... yeah. We that's, haven't done one in a while. So if you want, you can basically add the bottom 100 to the list and sort of give us a two-fifths chance... Uh, two, sorry, two-sevenths chance of watching one of the worst movies ever made. If you feel sadistic. So, so this is up to you oh. guys. Uh, no, I'll give you a good one. Okay. So leave it in the top two. So what am I doing? I'm you're see the random number generator there. You're just I going just press to yeah. generate. Yep. Yeah. Oh well, now you're just giving away the magic of it all. I mean, it's... oh sorry. I mean, I summon the number gods. <laughs> wow, that is uh, something. Oh goodness. Oh, I don't even have to look this up. I have no idea. Okay, well, this happened sooner than we thought it would. And this is number one... The Shawshank Redemption. Is it Shawshank? Yeah, yeah we're doing Shawshank Redemption next week. What a movie. Um, number so, one, nothing. So what we'll do uh, is we will just watch the trailer very quickly. Why do we feel like I could recite every line that's in the trailer? Because do you want to give it a go? Do you want to actually perf- we'll have Phil no, perform the trailer? No, but my point <laughs> is... Busy voiceover. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If it's as good as your Ashley Judd. Um, <laughs> is that going to be my claim to fame for now on? I do a pretty good Ashley Judd. How like at parties. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard all the evidence. I submit that this was not a hot-blooded crime of passion. Consider this. A revolver holds six bullets, not eight. That means that he fired the gun empty and then stopped to reload. By the power vested in me by the state of Maine, I hereby order you to serve two life sentences back to back, one for each of your victims. So be it. They send you here for life. That's exactly what they take. I believe in two things. Discipline. Help me In the Bible. Here you'll receive both. Andy came to Shawshank Prison in 1947. Why'd you do it? I didn't, since you asked. <laughs> you can fit right in. I must admit, I didn't think much of Andy the first time I laid eyes on him. He had a quiet way about him. A walk, a 
talk that just wasn't normal around here. There are places in the world that aren't made out of stone. There's something inside that they can't touch. What are you talking about? Hope. Let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Damn it, friend! you're putting me behind. Hope can drive a man insane. You better be sick or dead in there, I kid you not. Better get used to that idea. Oh, my holy God. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. Get busy living. Or get busy dying. That's damn right. So, the Shawshank Redemption. Any quick like, thoughts? We'll talk about it next week, obviously, but... That trailer doesn't do a lot of justice. It makes it seem very cliché prison story to me. It didn't I take, think it does a lot of justice, Phil. It but didn't take us nine years you, to do... Darren, what are you saying? Um, but I think you... I, I detected a lot of love in the room for it just when it was on there. Joe, yeah. we were saying... Thank well, you. I adore it. I think it's a gorgeous film. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so sincere. It's so beautifully made. It's lovely classical feel to it yeah really nice right. acting um two really different central performances but lovely Absolutely. chemistry friendship chemistry between them lots of great supporting actors just like in the film we just discussed yeah i think it's gorgeous i, I love, love it, it. it's it, like you say there is something just so genuine about it I've, and it, it's it's not necessarily the it's not it may be number one on the on the top two fifty, it's not the best film, no, but it's probably. still one. But what are, what are the odds of like a list like this picking like anybody's favorite film? You get a Slim film that everybody enough. loves. Well, but you, you know don't what? Get a, a lot. Of, there are a lot of not in the top two fifty. There are a lot of people for whom this is a favorite film, and if it is, so be it. I this is one I couldn't really object to. So far, kind of out of movies I've seen, I would. Uh, there's a few. There, there's not that many that I wouldn't kind of argue too strongly about them being number one. And like Jaws, for example, I'd yeah. be like, oh, yeah, of yeah. course, sure. best film ever. I could go with yeah. that. Cool. I like, and I'd be close to kind of um, a, a, a agreeing with this as well. Mm. Like, like, and, and, like, probably I wouldn't uh, choose as number one, but my number one wouldn't be anywhere near the two. Yeah, nor or on the list. Be. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, or, but, um, I, I, I think the thing that Darren doesn't like about it is that we've 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 been through Baby Driver <laughs> before. It's uh, Darren doesn't mind Shawshank. It, it, I've said it before. It's the redemption that. <laughs> uh, yes, that's my secret hardcore hardline. Oh, sort of I look forward to listening yeah. to that episode. All right. Well, with that in mind, then where can we find you guys online? If people listen to this podcast and like to get a bit more Phil, a bit more Joe going mm-hmm. in their lives. Where would they do that? I'm on Twitter at uh, the Joe Griffin T H E, Joe Griffin G R I F F I N. Um, I tweet stuff sometimes. Perfect, Phil. Uh, I actively refuse to tweet, hence no Twitter. And um, you can find my reviews archived at uh, Scanon or also on my own blog, Cynical Film. All one word. Dot uh, WordPress. You are, I believe, the second or third most prolific writer on Scanon. After the, the site owner. After Niall. Uh, yes, although I give Graham... Uh, he's going he's gonna to pass that shortly. 
yeah, that, that, that's an, another of my claims. That and my Ashley Judge. These are my things. Mm. Um, all right, well, with that in mind, you can listen to the 250 on iTunes, Stitcher. You are probably listening to it on one of those now. Uh, you can follow us at the 250. You can visit us at the250.com. Um, also, check out uh, Chaplains. Oh, <laughs> yes, who very for, kindly for, provided us with a space for, in which for, to record this. For a film podcast appropriately called Chaplains and across from the old uh, screen, screen cinema. cinema. Yeah, Such it, as it was. Uh, All right, well, thank you very much, guys. Thank bye. you. Thanks, bye. Bye.